it came with a couple of uh, uh, sticky uh, oh. things. You, the one of them's contoured, like helmet contoured. Right, right. One of them's flat. I haven't put them anywhere. I don't know where to put them, but I did it. I've, they're there. They came in the box, so whatever. Um, you could put one on the headstock of your guitar. Yeah, yeah, I could do that. I've seen people do that. They make clips with them too, uh, that you can like see down the fretboard, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so, so let's get started. Uh, welcome everybody to the Slightly Chewed Podcast. I'm your host, as usual, Chris Watson. With me on this particular episode, which is being filmed, if you're watching this part of it, uh, Mr. Colin Brooks, I'm singer to mom, wave to mom, singer songwriter extraordinaire, uh, fly fisher, cabinet maker. Uh, all of these things. You have a lot of titles. <laughs> uh, you forgot to mention how great a lover I am. Uh, well, I haven't experienced that personally, so I'm not going to speak to that <laughs> myself. But let's hope we stay that way. Yeah, I think we're. I think our friendship is is in a good Adequate. place. Yeah. yeah, it's in a good spot. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're up here in Red River, New Mexico. Uh, played up here with Zach Wilkerson Saturday night, and then uh, just didn't leave. I just kind of stayed. Chelsea and I. Just grabbed a room and said, we're just going to hang out for a couple of days. So here we are. You're kind of making a habit of that. I am, and I'm going to keep doing that until I'm told that that's not okay anymore because I friggin' love it up here. Yeah, it's great. It really is. You've been here since, you, what did you say, June? Yeah. And you seem to really like it a whole lot, or I guess you wouldn't have stayed. Yeah, I, I lived in Taos in the late 90s, and I just I fell in love with this part of the world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've I've been living in Austin for the last what, fourteen years, I think, and um, you know, I was trying to be a rock star, really. Sure. And, uh, you, Austin's a great place to to try to do that, and so you guys seem to have accomplished that, I think, to a point. Well, many, many, yeah. I wouldn't. I don't know. We certainly had lots of success, and yeah. uh, it was great. But I am uh, no longer actively pursuing that yeah. like I was. And so I kind of been gravitating back up here ever since I quit the band. Yeah. The band of heathens that is specifically right. of which you were a founding member. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I was a big fan back in the, back in the LA County blues era. I know we've talked about that, Yeah, which is was a, one foot in the ether. Yeah. That was my, that was my jams for a while. So I always enjoyed it and getting to see him uh, more recently, like we were talking about with uh, Richard Millsap on drums and, mm-hmm. and those guys. They're still doing doing really well. They seem to be. They tour constantly. They are moving around like crazy. Yeah, which is cool to see. I think we're getting them through here on February 18th or something like that at the Motherload. Yeah, cool, cool. I don't know if they're doing Music Fest or not. I don't know if they I don't ever think they are really mm-hmm. got into that scene. That's more. Yeah, of a Texas we played country. it. We played it numerous years. I yeah. don't know what they've done since I've been gone, but yeah. I'm guessing, you know, every other year probably. Yeah. John books a wider variety of music than just the yeah. hat head shit kickers. Yeah. He does a lot of that too in that festival. I've done it several times with my band and with other bands. And so I'm. You're not a hat head shit kicker. I have. I, I'm not now. I grew up that way. Oh, did you? I grew up on a quarter horse ranch and I was that way for a long time. And then I grew out of it, I guess. It wasn't ever really for me. I was the guy wearing a cowboy hat listening to Stevie Wonder in the car. Like, it didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. It was kind of a proximity thing more than anything. Yeah. But you're up here now, and you you like to do a lot of fishing. I know there's a lot of good fishing around here. That's what I came up here for about a month ago. Um, 
I know you do a lot of that. I didn't make it down to the Rio Grande. You keep telling me how, how amazing that is down there. No, right. It's that, terrible. That doesn't exist. Yeah, mm-hmm. don't go there. Um, actually, it wasn't that great this year. Um, yeah. for, for whatever reason, maybe I just hit it wrong. It can be extremely fickle. It's one of the hardest rivers to fish because it's just big boulders and pocket water and the currents are all over the place. But it is so beautiful down there and I highly recommend uh, at least going to the to the ledge and looking over. Yeah. But it's it's uh, there have been days I've hiked back out of there just hurting, you know. <laughs> it's a long way down. It's a long way down, it's a long way back up. It's further up than it is down. <laughs> of course. Especially after hopping rocks all day. But yeah. I wish I could have made it uh, when we were here a couple months ago, but we didn't end up making it. We'll do it sometime. for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I'm never going to come back. I'm going to overstay my welcome until I'm told to leave. I doubt that's going to happen. <laughs> Boss man really likes you. Yeah, I've uh, appreciated my relationship with him. Uh, has been cultivated over the last couple of years. We've done Mardi Gras party the yeah. last two years with my big band. You heard. And, man, it's just a riot in there. That place just gets <laughs> rowdy. Mm-hmm. So maybe we get to do that again next year. I'm going to talk to him about that before we leave. I can throw that band back together for, for that weekend because it's just so much fun. And they do the, the little parade and they do the burning man thing where you write down a, a wish and you put it in. They burn it and it comes true, ideally, if you're into that. A little faith. <laughs> it goes a long way. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so we've, we've had a lot of fun out here, so I plan on coming back, but. Also, for the fishing, I, we didn't do that well fishing-wise. I'd never fished here before, and I'm used to fishing Colorado rivers, yeah. which seem to be a little bit wider and a little bit shallower. And I ran into a lot of fast-moving, narrow rivers down around Cimarron and down around that area, and we did, we did okay. We caught you know, enough to be satisfied, but it seemed like I did a lot of walking, a lot of searching mm-hmm. more than I did fishing, yeah. looking for fish. Well, that's why it's called fishing. That's why not catching. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I, I, there are some, uh, there are some definitely, um, great rivers in Colorado. There's, I, I would say there are probably fewer here, but there, you got to go to the Rio mm-hmm. and check that out. Um, but again, that can be, uh, very frustrating also. So I don't know. It's, um, I, I keep thinking, uh, I thought this year that I was going to get all the way to uh, Montana maybe this fall. And certainly Wyoming, that was definitely in the plan, but uh, got very busy and it seemed important. So yeah, <laughs> I'm going to head back to Texas here pretty soon and um, take my kayak out on the flats and yeah. catch some redfish, I think. Down in the Gulf? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let me know when you do that because... I have access to a kayak, and I would love to do that. Yeah, it's a whole different kind of fly fishing. Yeah, that sounds awesome. That sounds really cool. I uh, I haven't fished in the Gulf in a long time. My dad took me down when we went offshore. Right. You know, this for, is very different than that. Yeah, I assume, but it's I have a fascination with that area and, and the vast amount of things that are in the Gulf that you can catch yeah. that are so different. You wouldn't think they all live together. In mm-hmm. that. And that one little area, it's pretty cool. I don't know. I'm into that. I don't have a ton of time to do it, but I'm into that. There's glitter all over this table. I don't know if you noticed that or not. There's glitter all over this whole lodge. It is. I was, it's Christmas time and they've been uh, hanging shit up on the walls I and just, it's just dropping its, its 
This was down in my hand and realized. Pervading everything. I'm sparkly. I've glitter in my bed, all over my pillow. <laughs> yeah. It's on, seat of my pants. It's on your face, too. I can see it sparkling on, in your beard. It's that's good. just the gray, my gray hairs. Oh, yeah, that's what it is. So uh, what's going on? What else are you doing? You're up here making, I guess you're working for Steve, doing, uh, doing, yeah. doing Steve stuff. We're, did we mention we're at the Lost Love Saloon and the Motherload Saloon? We didn't. Texas we're up, Reds. We're up here in this little sitting area upstairs. Uh, if you're ever here, definitely come by. It's, the, it's phenomenal, old school. Yeah, it's got quite a charm. It really does, and it's comfortable. and Great old honky-tonk. The mother load, yeah. Where the song uh, Up Against the Wall, Redneck Mother. Mm-hmm. Ray Wiley Hubbard. Yeah, he wrote that about that bar next door, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, there seems to be several candidates for that um, moniker, but um, we'll just go with that one. But anyway, yeah, so I'm working for Steve Hagland, who owns all that. And mm-hmm. Steve is sort of the patron saint of the music scene in Red River around here. He has been uh, very committed to having good music, mm-hmm. sometimes to his own detriment, maybe. But um, <laughs> we have a pretty neat community. So I've just been hanging out this summer, you know, playing in the Lost Love Saloon with Mike Addington almost every night of the week. Yeah, and then you guys come through, and other bands from Texas that mm-hmm. I may or may not know, and whatever, you end up sitting in with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, cool we line. have a we have a ranch. Steve has a ranch up um, in the holler up the canyon, right? Where uh, he's built a little amphitheater and uh, music venue, and they do Michael Martin Murphy shows. And we had uh, Ray Wiley this last summer, mm-hmm. and Willis Allen Ramsey. We're going to do some more of that. It's really beautiful up there, and there's some big trout in the pond. And I pulled one of them out of there mm-hmm. when I was there. I may or may not have baited it as hard <laughs> as possible because all they wanted, they have the little turnstile with the fish food in yeah. it. It's all they want. That's all they want. So you have to stick that on your hook, and then they'll bite it. I may or may not have done that. Well, but I got a no big one, one like is, a 24-incher out of there. I mean, it was yeah, big. They're fatties. Just huge. Mm-hmm. I didn't, when I posted it online, I didn't say that I baited it. So right. don't tell anybody. Well, <laughs> no one's going to hear this podcast. So <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No one's <laughs> listening. So it doesn't really matter. Seems <laughs> like you might've just shot yourself in the foot. <laughs> I've been tempted to do that. I was going to actually tie some flies that looked like that. Those little <laughs> dog food pellets that we throw in there. Yeah. But, uh, they will, uh, they'll hit a variety of other things. Um, a little patience is sometimes uh, it wasn't for a lack of trying yeah i can tell you that we were out there for a couple hours and got a couple of bites but then Mm -hmm. got unhooked and so i finally got kind of fed up (laughs) i I I finally pull i'm looking at Mm -hmm. them i can reach down and touch them yeah i can't get them on the hook they're right they're looking at me waiting for me to feed them yeah yeah those are the stalkers and they've learned that that's uh their primary source of calories but um there's some big wild browns in there but they're much wilier yeah i've only seen one that's close to 20 inches but uh, yeah there was a lot uh that i was trying to get to it wasn't very windy so i was able to cast pretty far with my fly rod and there were a lot of them sipping uh like halfway in, like in the middle of the yeah. pond and mm-hmm. i was trying to get as far out there as i could 
because they seemed like the ones that weren't looking for the dog food right. that I might have more, more of a chance with, but I didn't get anything out of there. But I tried. I sure did try. And then it started raining, and we were still fishing because I, <laughs> I was I had invested, I had invested so much time at this point that I needed to get mm-hmm. one of them out of there. So <laughs> eventually I did. And those fish fight really well. Yeah, oh, yeah. By the time I got that big one hooked, and it was big, mm-hmm. it was, I mean, it was a 15, 20-minute ordeal just to get it tired out enough so I could get it in the net. It was really fun. Yeah. Sometimes lake or, or pond fish don't pull that well, but those fatties in there, they pull hard. Yep. And they don't give up. Yep. So you worked this morning. What were you doing this morning? I froze my ass off this morning. I had to... I was cutting some steel plates that we're um, using in kind of an interesting way on our cabinet doors and drawer fronts. Hmm. We've been it's cold. As I look outside, it's blizzarding right now. Storm just blew in while we were talking. It's beautiful. It really is. I love this town so much in that it's literally three quarters of a mile long. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole thing, that's pretty it. much. And that really... It's really enjoyable to come out. And, the, and like right now, it's, it's Monday after Thanksgiving, and everyone went back to work. Everyone went home, and there's literally no one here. And you can just walk around and just, it's like you're in the middle of nowhere with random buildings and structures. I really like that. I don't get that very much. You live in Fort Worth? Fort Worth, yeah. Big city, big city Fort Worth. And I love Fort Worth. I really yeah. do. I moved there five years ago, and it's a great city. And it harbors me well. Yeah. I'm, I'm able to make a really comfortable living doing what I do there, singer-songwriter you know, gigs. And, and then when I have my band going, we're, we tour from there. Mm-hmm. And it's good. It's a good place to be. There's, you can play. There's music, good music going on literally every night of the week yeah. somewhere in that town. Yeah. And depending on what you like, you mm-hmm. know, it's everywhere. So I really like it there. But I grew up in the country. We grew up on a big acre, you know, quarter horse ranch. And so I... I'm just partial to that. I, anytime I can get out of the city and get out and just in the middle of nowhere and just take a deep breath, I, uh, I really relish that, that time, which is, yeah. I think, why I like so much, spending so much time up here. And in between here and Steamboat Springs, these are kind of my, my home away from home yeah. areas. I spent so much time in Steamboat growing up. My parents met and got married there. So I spent a ton of vacation time, multiple times a year in Steamboat. And then, you know, eventually they had a, a place where I would just go by myself and stay in this, mm-hmm. in this place that they owned. And they would just give me the keys and say, here you go, have fun, don't make a mess, you know, and I just go. Uh, so I, I really enjoy my time out here, just as quiet. And it's, yeah. there's no highway, there's no, none of that. You know, obviously, Nature made humans. We evolved on this planet just like every other organism. Sure. Um, but we have this self-conscious thing, and, and we are. it's imperative that we band together almost more than any other mammal because we're so weak and uh, all yeah. we have is this big-ass brain <laughs> and the ability to cooperate and... Um, and then this is obviously the necessity to. So, um, you know, cities are obviously the, the outcome of all that. But it is, it is something really special for me. You know, the, the reason I think I fish is because I just 
get away from other humans. I don't usually fish with anyone else. I don't have fishing buddies. Right. Um, I will take people fishing sometimes, but typically I go alone because it's just, there's something powerful about experiencing this beautiful planet that we live on in a, in a direct way without language, Mm -hmm. without uh, so much self referential kind of thinking or, you know, because I don't ever think, well, what does that big brown trout think of me? Right. You know, right. Because it doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't enter the equation. And, and that is of course the Achilles heel of, of self-consciousness is it's, um, can be a debilitating, uh, self-review all the time. Yeah. And, um, well, uh, I, I have certainly suffered from that most of my life. I seem to be in a place where I don't have as much of that going on. Thank God, because I thought it was going to kill me at one point, but it hasn't diminished my enjoyment or desire to, to get out in nature and just mm-hmm. be a, um, a, you know, I'm not a, a mountain man or a survivalist or anything, but, uh, sure. you know, I like to camp and I like to, to at least get my toes wet and yeah. for a while and, you know, there's a lot to be work said. up a good stink before I come home to a hot shower. <laughs> yeah, I th- if you're not smelly by the time you're done with it, then I don't. You haven't done it right. Or you haven't not. been out there long enough, mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, there's a lot to be said, I think, for that. And and there are a lot of studies, uh, or just maybe just people have written things down in terms of when if you're if you're overly addicted to technology and your cell phone and all of that, and you go somewhere for X amount of days where you can't use it your brain starts to kind of revert back to its more primitive state. And you don't you all these things, it's Twitter and Facebook, yeah. all these things that you're worried about a thousand times a day. I'm guilty of it. I look at my phone constantly and, and I, and every time I do it, I go like, what prompted me to do that? Why did I just react and just pick my phone up and pick, open up Facebook or something? And eventually you get out of that. And I think that I haven't had a chance to do that in a while, but the last time I went camping for multiple days, I just left my phone in my car and it was all, it was dead. Battery's dead. I just left it there. And by the end of the trip, I didn't even think about it. And then a day later I get back home and I'm, then I'm doing it again. But yeah. then I felt kind of, I felt at peace, a lot more at peace. I think this, this social media technology goes along with what you were just saying in, in terms of the, the self-consciousness of you're putting yourself out there so much, so, so often on social media and everyone has an opinion and everyone really, really wants you to know their opinion about whatever it is that you're doing, whether or not they need to have an opinion, they do. Yeah. And then you get, and then they go, okay, well, what is that? Like, why did you say that negative thing to me? And like, what do I, why, what, <laughs> what difference does it make to you that I'm out here fishing for a few days and I'm not like, that's, it's such a strange thing that's happened so fast. I don't think we're evolved for that yet. I think maybe eventually we will be, but I don't think our brains can comprehend all of that just yet. Oh, we haven't hardly caught up with the technology of the printing press, let alone yeah. this. Um, I think, I think actually our, our emotional evolution is is way behind. Um, it, you know, we've we've had something like ten thousand years of gathering together like we do now. Mm-hmm. You know, coming out of just the hunter gatherer groups into 
places, well, you know, because we discovered agriculture and we could grow enough food in one place to all congregate together, to have mm-hmm. a, a, a fair number of people in one place. When you're just relying on game and hunting, you have to be uh, migratory. And, you know, you go to the winter hunting grounds or, you know, whatever. Obviously, different places on planet Earth were different. But mm-hmm. 10,000 years of gathering together civilization and higher density kind of um, uh, human activity. And that requires a much different kind of um, social kind of technology. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we're still killing each other, yep. but far less yep. than we used to. Um, they say that uh, most tribal societies, one in seven people would uh, die at the hand of another human. Hmm. Now we're at almost one in 80. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's several orders of magnitude. And, um, yeah. But I, Those I think are also that, a lot smaller. Than we are now. Yeah, but per capita. Yeah. Uh, one in seven. Yeah. It, that's, that's, those are estimates based on diggings, sure. you know, and, yeah. and you study the bones and, well, you know, the, uh, the, the Piltdown Man or whatever, whatever these bones are, you know, yeah. you dig them up and they got a hole in the back of their head. Right. And right. it's probably, uh, right. you know, another knife scratches on mm, their, on right. their skull. And yeah. <laughs> but back to the, the emotional technology, uh, you know, we're just not very well equipped. That's why, you know, if you say something to hurt my feelings, I may have emotions of like, I want to kill him. <laughs> right. You know, right. we've all felt that. Sure. Where somebody just says something to you and you have a violent response right. over words. Right. And, um, you know, we have a fight or flight mechanism. That's part of the ego, uh, part of a, any organism, a survival instinct. And, but our best means of survival is actually turning the other cheek. Right. You know, so the, along come these teachers like the Buddha and Jesus, and they're teaching us, in part, I think, it's just simply social technology. Like mm-hmm. how, to, how to get along Yeah. in a big group. And now we have, you know, 7.3 billion people on the planet. That's a fuck ton of human folks that's right there. Yeah, you know? that's a lot. And forcing, we don't know how to do that. Yeah, forcing forcing ourselves to coexist. Yeah, and it's hard. It is hard, and it's it's you know you sit in a place like this where there's 500 people, and then you go to China, where <laughs> there are 500 people in one building. Yeah, you know, or more, and it's you know they figured it out to a point. Yeah, you know their their system of of of, of respect and personal space amongst such massive crowds. Yeah, you know, they figured it out. But then you go to New York City and everyone's yelling at each other and flipping each other off. And <laughs> it's a little bit different. People are a lot friendlier in New York City than, than I thought they would be when I moved there. But, you know, I think you say well, it's hard to live with this many people. It'd be a lot harder without them. Yeah. You know, well, it'd be a lot harder on your own. Yeah, for sure. For We're sure. We're so good together. Yeah. Yeah. It, it makes things a lot easier. Arguably the best time to be alive now, for oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways. Yeah. In, in most ways, I would, I would medicine and technology. And yeah. And Cold beer that. and hot showers. Yeah, all of those are, are good things. 
uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's, but at the at the same time, I guess maybe I'm too used to that, and maybe coming out here kind of reverts me yeah. back. If you take a pig, like a full grown pig mm-hmm. that's domesticated and it's pink and it's hairless and it's got a curly tail and it's friendly, and you throw it out in the wild and you leave it there for about six months, their DNA changes. And they turn feral, and yeah. their hair grows long, their tail straightens out, their tusks grow, they become extremely aggressive. That's, that's kind of how I feel when I come out here. <laughs> I feel like a feral pig. My hair's growing, my tusks are growing. My tusks are definitely growing. You've been here long enough now mm-hmm. that you're fully feral. <laughs> you're Red River feral. <laughs> For sure. I didn't really know you at all before, but I can tell. I can see it in you. The wild's coming out. Yeah. It's good for you. But I feel that way when I come to places like this. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm off the grid enough. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not very much cell service out here, and I'm not really worried about it. I'm worried about what's going on. It's snowing. Like, I'm looking at that. Yeah. I'm worried about getting up on the mountain. I tried to go up the ski lift. I know in the summertime, they'll let you go up the lift as, as like a scenic pass. And right. I tried to do that without skis yesterday, and they wouldn't let me do it. And I was kind of upset. They didn't really give me a reason, but they don't Get really. Get your snowshoes on and just really hike up there. Yeah, I'm not going to do that for mm-hmm. sure. I'm not in the shape for that. I find myself winded. What are we at, like 8,500 feet here or 8,000 feet? Something 85, like that. yeah. I, yeah, Fort Worth is like 300 feet. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not used to it. Give me, give me two months of living here, and then I'll do that, maybe. I get winded walking up these stairs over here. <laughs> I have to sit down for a second. That's a real thing. It's, you know, the speaking of the feral thing or... or um, you know, my, my, fair bits of my life, I've made a living playing music, and um, but I've also, uh, you know, large portions of it, I've had to have a second job or whatever, and a lot of times that would be some kind of carpentry or building. Um, but when you're on the road all the time and playing music, even though music, music is an integral part of being human. Absolutely. You know, it is. Absolutely. It has a. Um, uh, a defining quality to this particular mammal, you know, along with our language, and the two are linked together pretty tight. But um, there, there were times that I felt completely useless, though. Right. <laughs> and uh, I do like working with my hands, and you know, when sometimes you get a big snowstorm, and and you know, like the the biggest thing you got to do is just get on unbuttoned from that unpacked mm-hmm. shovel out get to where you can function and survive and the immediacy of of that and like chopping wood for your fire mm-hmm. so you can stay warm mm-hmm. um, those things are are innately satisfying i think to us as humans yeah. and in in a really uh, a powerful way where you you're actively participating in your own survival not just sending a check to the gas company or whatever. <laughs> right. And, you know, not, we can't all live that way, especially with as many humans as we have now, Yeah, obviously. But it, it's, I know it does a lot feel of, good. I know a lot of people who wouldn't want to live that way, yeah. for sure. And if, you know, you don't have the desire to do that, then don't do it. But if you do, it's, it is very satisfying. Catching a, catching a fish and, and filleting it mm-hmm. and cooking it right then and eating it. Like, there's a lot. It does make you feel like you're more at, at one with with your primitive self. And in, in some ways, at this point, that's a luxury. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Whereas, of course, it used to be a it. necessity. 
and it does harken back to how we how we evolved and uh, how we survived and but now we have the luxury of just going to the grocery store and uh, yeah i don't know it's not there's not one better than the other but i i find that we all got to follow our little noses yeah and uh, yeah well if that's what you're into then be into that I mean, yeah. whatever people People have, like I just was saying, that people have their opinions of, well, I would hate. No, that's that's dumb. Why would you ever want to do that? Cut your own wood? That's you just go buy some. It's like, well, I'm sh- like, what what what's the point of even having a thought about it? To me, I don't know. I'm more of a live and let live kind of person. I guess yeah. people do whatever they want as long as it doesn't hurt me or hurt anyone. Yeah, what difference does it make? There's no need to have an opinion about everything I do. I don't post things on Facebook. Uh, that are personal things for that reason. I have a Facebook personal page and a band page and I post literally the exact same thing to both of them because it's a different audience and I get a bigger reach. Right. I don't post pictures of my food. I very rarely post pictures of my scenery unless I can say I'm on, I'm on tour and here's Mm -hmm. music, but look at this view because here we are. And it's for that reason. If I start posting these, all these things about everything I'm doing for no reason and people start commenting on them, I'll get really self-conscious. I have really, really bad anxiety really bad social anxiety and it translates into social media yeah that and then it affects my outside of social media life and then that's the most ridiculous thing mm-hmm. to say out loud and think about that that's a thing but it really affects me in that way people have so much power with their words that's why music is so powerful when was the last time you heard a commercial or a tv show or a movie that didn't have music in it yeah. and when they do it they do it on purpose like no country for old men doesn't have one note of music in it but they do it intentionally, and there's so much silence between words that they're creating this tension without music for yeah. you. And I, I love that as, yeah. just as much. But think about the last commercial that you saw on TV that didn't have a song in it, and you won't be able to think of one ever that this doesn't exist without some sort of music in it. Yeah. It's a powerful thing, and, and people, have, people have a lot of power with their words, and I don't think people realize it. I was saying this in one of the uh, shows I did previous that someone have had, recently has uh, had told me, and I don't think they meant it as an insult, but they told me that I would be more successful if I hired a singer and I didn't sing in my own band. Mm. And because that was my vocals were the thing that was holding me back from, be, from blowing up. So what the person said to me. And they said it so nonchalantly and without thinking about it. And then the conversation moved on from there. And... That's that's stuck with me to this day. That was months ago. Yeah, that stuck with me to this day. And every time I get up on a mic, I think about that. Mm. And and he didn't. He probably hasn't thought about it since. Yeah, you know what I mean. And that's a that's a powerful thing that people have. And to just to just throw at someone like that. And I I don't. And people should be more mindful of that. I think, but mm-hmm. nobody's going to. No, no one is going to. And it, it kind of makes me think of um, what Ramana Maharshi said. One time about, um, this is a serious paraphrase here, but um, he said, you can't go about the world uh, picking all the stones out of the road. You, uh, you just put some shoes on. You can, yeah. you know, you're, so especially with the social media thing, you know, there's a, there's a lot of hating going on. Uh, having a, a negative opinion seems to be really cool. Well, and, which I think is fucking bullshit for the most part. I mean, yeah. 
I, I can get cynical sometimes. Yeah, it's, it's dog just, pack. Yeah, and it's like I remember being a teenager, a young teenager, and go, and not thinking something was cool was not cool. Yeah, like everything, everything sucks. I'm better than this. Right. What? But you know, I I just participated in that by saying you know, that's <laughs> that's bullshit or whatever. Sure. But I, I'm more I'm more interested in that you know the Ramana Maharshi at, uh, viewpoint. You know, like you, the world doesn't need fixing. It's it. Nature made it just like it made me, and it, mm-hmm. it's doing whatever it's doing, and it's it's a big thing. Mm-hmm. It's a really big thing. And who am I, as a recently evolved, mm-hmm. you know, self conscious um, mammal, to pass judgment on it? Really, I mean, it's going to do what it does. Right. And nature makes really reprehensible, in my opinion, type of people, and you know, just. In recent year, in recent this last century, we've had people like Hitler and uh, Stalin, and you know some terrible things going on in Africa. And you know, just like how 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 does that work? Even after having two thousand years of of teachings like Jesus and like Buddha, right. you know it doesn't. Anyway, but this the the Facebook. The Twitter, the, you know, all of this, you get a little megaphone. Everybody gets their megaphone now, mm-hmm. and which is really powerful in a way. But, uh, yeah. for the you know, for the most part, it's just chatter, yeah. you know, which we like as humans. Um, but, you know, that kind of, that, that, that comment of, you know, you should have a, a singer. You know, you're holding yourself back and... Me, I'm not a great singer, and uh, I wouldn't be a singer unless I wrote songs. Mm-hmm. And somebody's got to sing them, and uh, you know, just sort of evolved. And I really enjoy singing now. Mm-hmm. You know, it used to be a chore. I used to have a lot more anxiety about it, but I really like singing. And it's way easier to to be okay with my singing now that I'm actually not trying to necessarily be anything right. you know like sure i still get paid to sing sometimes or whatever but um there's a there's a distance and um a it didn't pressure. happen because i quit playing music <laughs> it right. happened uh quite some time after that but um you know you're we all have anxiety about what other people think of us especially when we have some kind of vested interest in being a singer or, right. or whatever it is that we are trying to be or right. do. But, you know, just you find that place in yourself where you just put shoes on, you put some leather soles on your feet mm-hmm. and let the stones be in the road because mm-hmm. they're not coming out. Yeah. That's a great, uh, great metaphor uh, for, for any aspect of life. I think yeah. there's, there's a lot, there's a lot involved in that is you can't, you can't, you're obviously not going to ever be able to please everyone all the time. Right. And so you, you know, you definitely have to please yourself first. And then what I've discovered, I think musically specifically is that if, when I try to write something that I think people are going to like, people don't like it. But when I write something that I really am, am proud of and means something to me, yeah. but it may not be as good as I think the thing that I tried to write or something that I spent a lot of time on. People like that more because I think they recognize that I'm being honest with them 
You know, you have to spend the time to make it work and make it, you know, the arrangement and all of that. But once it gets to that point, I think people recognize that. And I think that's why there are a lot of people I, being in the music scene and being in such a, a crowded music scene like Fort Worth. There's a lot of people hating on a lot of other people. Mm. A lot. A lot. Of, everyone thinks that they can do it. What someone else is doing better than they can. But they don't. They just think they can. Which seems really strange to me. Again, like why even why you even have an opinion? You don't even play that genre of music. Why do you think you're better than this person? What do you know? But everyone it just goes in and and talks about each other like that. It's so it's so convoluted within that within that town and within any music town. Everyone wants to think that they think that they know better than anyone else. But um, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> I had a I had a good point that I was gonna make. Whatever the case. That's everywhere. You have the songs to songs that you write. Yeah, you that? have. It's, you just have to be real. I think yeah. that's why. I hear, that's the point I was trying to make. That's why I think that people, artists that that other artists may not perceive as very good, are, are mind blowing artists become more popular because they're putting out something that's real, or they're putting out something that's that's genuinely entertaining and has yeah. value to other people, and and that goes back to you don't have to be a great vocalist. There are a lot of famous singers that are not great vocalists, and it doesn't matter because they're being themselves and who that who that version of themselves is, is appealing to a lot of people. And then when you try to, when you, I think if you harp too much on that, I know a lot of people that harp too much on that and they spend all of their time trying to figure out what they think people are going to like yeah. and doing that. And then it doesn't work. And then they go, well, you know, well, obviously I'm better than this person. Go, yeah. well, who's to say that, you know? Yeah. I play funk music in a town dominated by country music. Mm-hmm. I get a lot of backlash from a lot of people constantly. But there is a little pocket of people that do like it. And I focus on those people. I don't focus on people that don't like it because I'm not going to change it for no. these people just because they go, well, why don't you play country music? I go, well, I like country music, but that's not who I am. If I did it, you wouldn't like it because it wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be real. You wouldn't believe it. If I'm singing about trucks and, and back roads, you know, you wouldn't believe it if I did it. Then you would be telling me to do something else. Mm-mm. Well, birds of a feather flock together. You know, we like people who like what we like. Yeah. You know, and then we also like things that challenge us. And some people like that more than others. And, you know, we, we are all a little different. Each one of us is unique. Um, we're all special. which is sort of an oxymoron but you know there's a great poster in austin uh, by those guys um what are they oh now i'm forgetting their names they make these posters d demotivational posters i think they call them yeah and it shows a they have a picture of this huge great dane and a little chihuahua right beside him and says remember you're special just like everybody else (laughs) But it, it it's true. It is true and it's it is I think it's it, there's something prescient there, something that that f- it's funny because there's something about it that is that rings. But but we we will often and you see this politically and we just went through all this crazy election bullshit and um um you know, we we often seek out uh, others just like us, or at least close enough to not challenge us. But uh, we might do better being challenged. And, you know, I, 
my natural proclivity is is a, to lean pretty far left. Um, but I'm not sure why. Um, I, you know, I have certain arguments about the state of of civilization or the planet and um, things that I believe about that. But you know, I don't know why my natural proclivity is is more liberal bent. Um, and I have people who I love dearly, who I disagree with vehemently, mm-hmm. like my mom. But I love her, and we've learned to disagree in a really loving way. And for the most part, we don't necessarily talk about all that stuff. But um, uh, we had a a real powerful experience. She came to visit me in Austin maybe 10 years ago. I know it was around when the heathens were just starting. So, um, you know, very, very, very religious, very Christian, um, and that's the way I was raised and, uh, you know, kind of flew from that coop. But um, she and I were having a lot of difficulty relating because I was not living my life of, in a way that she approved of or that she thought that, uh, you know, fit the, the way that I was raised in Christianity. And, mm-hmm. and um, what I was finding that was that I was, I was actually digging deep spiritually, but it didn't fit in that box. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we were constantly arguing or, or she was always throwing in these little religious quips or whatever, you know, pinning me against the wall. And I finally kind of got fed up and I said, mom, there, there's really something wrong with our relationship when the thing that is separating us is Jesus. Right. Do you think that he actually has that in mind? Like, do you think that's the outcome that he was gunning for here? Right. With his teachings? Right. And, it's so obvious to her at, and I at that at that moment that that was so ridiculous. Right, and that changed it changed everything about our relationship after that. Even though we, you know, I don't live the way she wants me to live. Right, uh, you know, uh, just a shift fornicating in. and drinking and sure. dancing and what whatnot. You know, the yeah. list of of all of that. And dancing? she is that a bad thing? Uh, is that against religion? Well, it's, it was where I grew up. Certain type of dancing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, she doesn't. Uh, she doesn't live the way I think she should live either. Sure. You, you know, um, she votes for the wrong people or gives money to uh, causes that I think are detrimental to our planet or sure. blah blah blah. Right. But I love her. Yeah. And she loves me, and we have a great time together. Yeah. And I have other friends like that too. It's, but you know you. It, it's almost irrelevant, but, uh, not, I'm not, I'm not saying these aren't important issues, right? They are important issues, but when we get together, um, and I have friends who come here to the lodge a lot, uh, spend a lot of times with this preacher here this summer from Amarillo and his wife and pretty conservative. And we disagree on a lot of stuff, but man, we have a great time. Yeah. We enjoy each other. We fellowship and we want the same things. Right. And what I see in humanity in general is that we really do want the same things. Yeah. 
We just don't agree on how to go about it. And that becomes a process. Yeah. But with this hating, back to this hating thing, it's easy to sit behind the veil of that screen and tap away at your keyboard, you know, some nasty, because you're protected. Oh, yeah. You know, if you and I got to sit here face to face yeah. and converse about, you know, whatever we're doing, yeah. if, if we're, or, or even if we're not doing anything, we're just, we just happen to be in the same space, you know, there's, it seems like humans, uh, tone back that, oh, yeah. that rhetoric, that meanness. Absolutely. That, so, the anonymity of the internet, yeah. it gets you very muscular behind that keyboard like road sure. rage too behind your oh, windshield yeah. oh you're in a whole other world yeah. inside of your car <laughs> yeah just screaming at people you don't know if they have yeah. a gun or what they're capable of so recognizing that is really i think in a i don't it's not going to probably stop but um there's some the internet is is like a mirror in a lot of ways to yeah. to to what's going on inside and that's another whole issue, you know, we don't talk about what goes on inside that much. Yeah. And um, a lot of it doesn't need to be aired, but sure. um, we, a lot of times we, we feel like that anxiety thing that you were talking about. I, I applaud you for being honest about that because, you know, I, I spent a lot of my life trying to appear strong. I, you know, I called it my Superman suit. Sure. At some point when I finally got to be aware of it. And it was so detrimental, me trying to appear, yeah. you know, as this thing that that I'm not really, you know. Yeah. I was masking it with alcohol. I quit drinking yeah. in February. Yeah. And I've probably brought this up in most of the shows, and I don't mean to. If I'm talking about it too much, I'm sorry. Uh, to the to people that are listening. But um, I had to face it. Yeah. directly yeah at that point and i do the same thing i think the to the superman suit what you said yeah to the point that i have it's it's crippling my social anxiety and huh. it, and it would get it would get to a point where i if i wasn't drinking I, the edge would come off after yeah. a few drinks yeah uh, so i had to do that up front when i'd get wherever i was going i don't really drink to excess i was never really like that but it, I needed some sort of social lubricant. Right. And when I quit, uh, I had to relearn how to do everything. Yeah. And I, I developed, I redeveloped a stutter that I had as a child, uh, which I still fight mm -hmm. actively. Uh, I have to be very mindful of what I'm about to say before I say it and speak slowly so that that doesn't happen. Uh, but I had to do, because I still play music for a living, you have to be in social settings, in groups, in, yeah. in crowds mm -hmm. often. I had to learn how to... I treat it as if I'm an actor and I'm playing a role hmm. and that gives me this wall that's about just outside of arm's length that keeps everyone out here. Yeah. And so I pretend that I'm this outgoing, you know, enjoyable, happy go lucky guy. Yeah. Now I wasn't, I was a complete asshole when I was drinking, which is another reason I had to quit. But I, I have this, I put on this, this front, this act and I sit in my car and I do it consciously and I, and I go, all right, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to, I'm going to, nothing's going to bother me and I'm going to be this guy. And then when I get back in the car and I'm going home hours and hours later, I'm mentally exhausted, mm -hmm. but 
I can turn it off and yeah. I can drive and I can drive in silence, which I normally do. However long I have to drive home, it's just quiet and there's no one there. And I have to do that every time, every day, hmm. every day that I'm in that setting. It's not so much here because I know all of you and I'm comfortable with all of you. But when I'm at a bar and I'm playing, especially if it's a place where I do well and I draw a crowd and it's mostly people I don't know and they yeah. all want to talk to you and they yeah. all want to have their story with you and they all want to do that. But it was it was something I had to relearn how to do everything. Yeah. And and I addressed it. I didn't realize that that was even a thing because I had been doing that for so long. Yeah. I had been I had been drinking and medicating it for so long, and uh, I had to relearn how to do everything. And so uh, uh, addressing it and and being able to say that this is something that I deal with. I don't take medicine for it. I don't really do anything like that. I just learned head on how to deal with it. I think addressing it like that in these settings, like in these podcasts, or just talking about someone that maybe I see they're doing it too and they don't realize they're doing it. I think that maybe hopefully that'll help somebody and, and maybe they'll realize that, that they're drinking themselves into a coma without, without realizing why they're doing it. I, I, I had a girl come up to me recently and tell me, and she, I, it's been about nine months now since I quit. And I had this girl come up to me and, and she said, uh, like, is this real? Like, what are you, are you this person now? And I said, I am. And I am because I chose to be because I put it out there. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in if you just, if you just put positivity out constantly, you're going to get a lot of positivity back. And I know that from experience in my own life and that I was putting a lot of negativity out and all I was getting back was negativity. And I didn't realize that it was me that was creating that situation for myself. Right. And so I, this girl and I had a long conversation because she was interested in, in doing what I did, but she kept giving me all these reasons why I wouldn't work for her. Well, you know, I just, I just, I'm too negative and I just, I just don't like people. And I said, okay, well, you just keep saying that you're going to keep feeling that way. Say that you like people go over there to that corner of people that, you know, and give someone a compliment, see what happens, watch their face light up and then watch how good you feel when you do that. That's giving positivity out and getting it back on a very small scale. And you can do that on any scale that you want. And it genuinely works. And it doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't cost you any time. And it will genuinely improve your life. And that's, I, I, so I, by addressing my, my crippling anxiety, there have been times, even, even recently, where I've been in the bar and it didn't work. I have to go sit in my car for 20 minutes and regroup and try it again. Now, that's happened several times. But, you know, I know that about myself. Yeah. And that's not, I don't, I used to get embarrassed because people would see me go outside and sit in my car and I'd come back in and they go, well, what were you doing out there? And I go, well, let's talk about something else. Like, we, not, we don't need to talk about it. Right. And, you know, and then, you know, I got over that. But it takes so much time to figure that out. I feel really lucky that I had the, the, the wherewithal to really step back outside of my own outside of my own psyche and realize that about myself and, and not and then not crumble under it. Uh, like I, when, when the guy said that about my singing, I, it, it could have gone either way. I took it as a challenge to get better, but I could have very easily took it as a, as a, well, I should probably stop doing this and go do something else. And he didn't know which person I was going to be when he said that. And I don't think he cared. I don't think he's ever thought about it since then. Yeah. But I think that translates into this too, is if you want to change, you have to, you have to want to change and you have to actively change. Your, your, your outlook and your personality. And I know these things about myself now and I, I realize them and I know how to work them out, but it's taken me months to figure it out. Yeah. I didn't know who I was for a couple of months. Yeah. I was miserable when I quit drinking. 
and quit doing, you know, whatever I was doing, I was miserable because I couldn't go anywhere without getting upset. Mm -hmm. I was, I was very hyper aware of, of my physical appearance, which I was unhappy with. I I lost like 30 pounds uh, since then. And I just, I feel better. I I feel better about myself and all of those things, but I I had to, I had to do it. I had to want to do it or it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And, and I, I, Strongly encourage anyone who's having that thought of, of man, I, I need a change. I don't know what that change is. Yeah. Just, just put down put down the drink for a couple of weeks yeah. and, and force yourself to be positive. Force yourself to compliment strangers. Mm-hmm. I had a guy, I've brought this up in the last couple of podcasts too. There, I, had, I was at Jason's Deli in Fort Worth having lunch one day by myself. And I walked up and I was looking at the menu and I was looking at it. And this guy behind the counter, he said, hey, man, I really like your haircut. Looks good on you. What can I get you? And then I was like, thanks. Like, I thought, I still think about that. Yeah. That was over a month ago, and I yeah. still think about that. And yeah. that's like, that's, it's so easy to do. And he yeah. didn't have any agenda. Like, I've never seen him since then. You know yeah. what I mean? He didn't ask me for money. He didn't, yeah. you know, for, except for what I was ordering. But, right. you know, it's, and that meant so much to me. Sure. Because I get made fun of a lot for having this haircut, <laughs> this undercut haircut, this hipster nonsense that I'm pr- pushing in my life. It does look good on you. Skinny jeans and hipster haircut. (laughs) (laughs) V-neck shirts. I like it. I don't know. But, you know, he didn't have to do that. But he did. And it meant a lot to me. And I still think about it. And it still makes me feel good. Yeah. And anyone can do that. And it's it's fucking free. It doesn't cost you anything. Just do it. It's so easy to do. You know, the thing you're talking about is, um, is facilitated by some... Something in yourself where you were able to step back and you, and I, I don't know why this always happens. Actually, I do know why. And when you step back and assess from, from one part of yourself to another, you know, it's like self-consciousness involves that ability right. to to somehow perceive one's self. And, you know, of course, the Zen teachers say, well, who is it that is seeing yourself? Mm-hmm. And we always, we, we make these references all the time, you know, or, you know, I'm so sick of myself, or I can't stand myself, or, or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really feeling good today. And mm-hmm. even that is a, there's an assessment. Mm-hmm. There's, there's some witness back there assessing this. And in myself, it's typically motivated by some painful situation. Mm-hmm. And in, in your case, you know, you're, you were masking a painful, you were medicating. Mm-hmm. And I of course do the same thing. Um, and I'm never an asshole when I drink. No, you're oh, very, no. very jovial and entertaining, <laughs> <laughs> which is Wait, really ask fun. the band of heathens. <laughs> but uh, so my my corollary story to that, um, since we're being fairly confessional, um, when I quit the band of heathens, I had been going through a lot of anxiety and. I would say that most of my life I really struggled um, deep down inside, you know, and I was, I felt like a, a, a fairly talented and, um, you know, reasonably intelligent, 
reasonably um, fortunate. You know, we certainly uh, grew up in fairly hard times, but always have been able to make ends meet and uh, do a lot of interesting things in the world. And you know, have a fair bit of success writing songs and traveling the world and playing them. And yet I was feeling so terrible a lot of the time. And it was juxtaposed by people telling you how great you are in right. the bar or the club or theater or wherever you're at to, you know, really struggling with my fellow man and, and struggling with being an asshole. Mm-hmm. And trying not to be, mm-hmm. believing that I shouldn't be, and right. trying to turn the other cheek, but uh, you know, trying to be enlightened, <laughs> yeah, and working hard at it. Sometimes I used to meditate an hour every day, and I'd sit there till my head was going to blow off. And um, uh, anyway, I, I through through various circumstances, I came to the point where I felt like I really needed to quit the band. And I felt like I would, I was going to fly free or something, you know, I'd be everything, things would get better, mm-hmm. you know, this constrained feeling inside of myself or this difficulty with, with, um, you know, Gordy and Ed, um, would su- suddenly, uh, be alleviated. And so I kind of thought that I was quitting the band for, um, musical reasons and for personal reasons um, relating to the band of heathens. And it turned out to be completely not true. Yeah. It was uh, simply a struggle within myself that did not get better. It got worse. And I went down, down, down. And I didn't get out of bed for almost a year, except to go buy more ramen noodles and popcorn and beer. Right. And I had this, you know, I was building that beautiful house in Austin and I I had this little tiny trailer that I was living in while I was building it. And so I was just holed up in that trailer because the house wasn't done. And I mean, I look back at it now and I, like you poor bastard, (laughs) you know, from that witness side, but man, I was in the shit, and um, I was pretty determined not to get on Prozac, or um, uh, I, I wanted to see what was down there. You know, like I, I didn't, I didn't have a family, and I didn't have uh, any responsibilities. I didn't have any bills really, um, and so I had enough money coming in to 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 buy ramen noodles and beer and <laughs> pay the yeah and pay the phone bill and I don't know I don't know really what it was all about but um I was very dissatisfied with who I was mm-hmm. complete utter dissatisfaction and 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 having done a fair bit of work on it and all that meditation and whatnot and it not having gotten any better. Yeah. I was like completely lost. And, um, there was just the glimmer of hope because of that 
I had had enough of that teaching uh, and the Zen tradition or uh, there's a guy specifically named Adi Ashanti that I think is a pretty clear teacher on on humanity and as it relates to that sort of spiritual search. Mm-hmm. And I had just enough of that glimmering inside to to surrender and to be okay with that surrender. I wasn't okay, but I was okay with not being okay. Right. And I wanted to see where it was going to go. And I wasn't going to stick a shotgun in my mouth. Right. At least until my mom passed away. <laughs> I couldn't put her through that. Yeah. And anyway, so um, one, you know, it, it went as far as it went and it just came to an end. Yeah. In, in the blink of an eye. And I saw, it, it, was, it wasn't uh, just a glimpse of seeing yourself from that witness. I, I rotted away my ego or something, my personality, the mm-hmm. person I thought I was, the yeah. person I had built for 40 some years, yeah. had just simply rotted away enough to suddenly I saw from that from just seeing it wasn't it wasn't self-referential anymore it wasn't self-conscious it was just conscious Mm -hmm. there was there wasn't any referencing I don't know how to describe it but the world dropped off my shoulders in that moment and it's just um, like it I don't know I don't know how to describe it any better than that yeah that that's heavy it's not that and the anxiety went away or that I became happy it's that suddenly I knew who it was that was having anxiety and Mm -hmm. it's just this it's 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 not who I am it's just what's happening yeah what I am. That gives you a lot more control over it, for sure. And maybe, yeah. It, it gives you freedom from it anyway. Yeah. Because yeah. you know you're not that per that... I mean, I am this person. It doesn't, or this th- is... But it, it's so much bigger. We, yeah. we are, you know... It doesn't we, define who you are. And it couldn't possibly. No. But you don't know that until you realize, until you have that realization. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so heartbreaking to not have that. Yeah. And you see that in other people. I spent people. my whole life. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, I, I relate to that very strongly in, in, in my own experience in the last, just in the last nine months. Yeah. And, you, and then you see people that are going through that, and you see yourself, your former self in them, and you want to help them, but you can't because they, they don't know that that's what's happening. Yeah. And you can't help someone that doesn't want to be helped with, you know. That girl coming up to me and asking me about it was that was her moment, I think, of glimmering, glimmering hope in, yeah. in herself. Mm-hmm. And I hope something comes of it. She's a good friend, so I mean, we we chat often. Right. I haven't talked to her since that was a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. But I I, I tried to it, the look on her face made me think that something clicked, yeah. something, yeah. however small. Mm-hmm. And so I'm anxious to see her again at the bar or wherever to see what, if any of it took. 
Yeah, and and it's okay if it doesn't. Um, there's, it really doesn't matter. You know, nature is waking up on its own. You know, it that would be a Buddhist perspective. You yeah. know, that the, it's becoming aware of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know yeah. what that really means, except in my own experience, there is. Um, I lived life from the this front that is was named by another human being uh has had plenty of choices in the world but usually it's yes or no you know you don't get a billion choices right you get one or two or three and you get to choose so you know free will is still constrained to a pretty narrow set of choices and i don't know why like i said before i lean left don't know why I'm attracted to guitars and fly rods. I don't know why I'm attracted to women instead of men. Uh, you know, we, there's so many things about this organism mm-hmm. that has evolved based on the DNA of, of thousands of generations mm-hmm. and just happening to be uh, on a planet that has water and is close enough to a sun to create green stuff from which we all come. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's so much about who we are that we have no idea. Yeah. And this just popped up here like any flower in the field. And yet we hold it to, to, to be so important and so dear. And for me to see that starkly, it just, like I said before, the world dropped from my shoulders because I'm no longer responsible for the person that I am. Now, don't take that out of context. Right. So in another, from another perspective, I now take responsibility for my actions right. way more than I ever did before. Right. Because there's nothing here I'm trying to defend. That's, that's not true. I mean, that's kind of an overstatement. I still have, there's, there's a survival mechanism here that will defend itself. Right. Um, and, and there's an ego, a sense of, of self that will sometimes have an anxiety reaction to what other people think or a defense reaction. But there is a rock solid knowing that that's not who I am or what I am. I am billion, billions of years of evolution. Mm-hmm. We all are. It is. And that's, there is consciousness in that. Like, I... I can't describe any more that, you know, I usually say it, it's like, you know, what, our seeing, what we see is usually object-based. You know, I see you in front of me. Right. Okay, Chris is here. There's a computer. There's a camera. There's a good, seeing, or, or I can perceive within myself. I feel, right. you know, I feel peaceful here. I feel happy. I feel angry, whatever. Um, but... So, so the, the, the attention that we give to the object of the seeing or the perceiving, whether it's feeling or smelling, you know, we have, I just use seeing because it seems more, um, I mean, it's one of our main uh, senses that is just so full of color and, um, and there is so much detail through seeing 
And when, when I receded back into the seeing, my attention was drawn to just the seeing, that, or there was no attention whatsoever. That was, it was very interesting how that affected who I thought myself to be or what, what I know myself to be. Yeah. It's, it's completely altering to, to your whole perspective on life and human interaction. That revelation. Complete freedom. Yeah. I mean, not, you know, and it, and you allow yourself to, to control your emotion more to a point. I do anyway. Yeah. I can sense when I'm in a bad mood and then I can think very objectively as to what's causing it and how I can fix it. Yeah. If I'm hungry, which is usually the case. Yeah. And a lot of times it's that simple. <laughs> yeah. But a lot of, but, but people don't, people don't realize that, that it can be that simple and you react yeah. based on those, those feelings yeah. right then. Mm-hmm. I'm pissed off mm-hmm. at something yeah. and you're there, you're right in front of me. So I'm going to be pissed off at you. Chelsea's getting the brunt of that one. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. <laughs> she was when I was yeah. in the process of quitting. She stuck, she stuck with me through, through all of that. That's and great. I applaud her for that. Yeah. And she was, she's an unrelentingly upbeat and yeah. positive person. And I think it's phenomenal. And I don't think that I would have turned out on the other side of it. I was, it was going to happen one way or another. I was going to quit drinking, but yeah. I don't think I would have come out of it as, as positively as I did yeah. without her kind of guiding me into this. So, so-called light of, yeah. of, Everything's pretty cool a lot. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. So, you know, mm-hmm. quit being an asshole all the right. time. Right. You know? And she's not afraid to tell me when I'm being an asshole, which helps a lot too. Cause then I can, at this point, I can objectively step back and go, okay. Yeah. I'm probably hungry. <laughs> I need to eat something. Yeah. Uh, which goes both ways. Yeah. Uh, but, but it's, it's such a, it's such a cool, I, I agree with you that the perspective, of of the weight being lifted off your shoulders and and life and human decency is your responsibility more so than than appeasing everyone and and trying to fit into this mold like going back to your conversation with your mother and how that simple change of perspective completely changed the trajectory of your relationship and i think that that is so phenomenal that both of you had the intelligence and and the and the the wherewithal to step back objectively and go that's that's yeah. that is that's what's causing our problem and we know that now and now we can be now we can be cool we can be friends and we can have a relationship because we know to not go there or to go there but go there from a different angle I didn't have, I don't, I haven't had a, a ton of relation, great relationship with most people in my family until the last two years or so. Uh, not any kind of, uh, super negative relationship, but just nothing. We didn't actively seek each other out. Right. And it, and it came at a point where I realized that my thoughts and views don't necessarily align with theirs mm-hmm. and we don't have to talk about it. And we don't have to, we can just be family and yeah. just appreciate that, that we came from the same, 
you know, the same thing. Ooh, and, and, DNA. Yeah, <laughs> and we're and we're connected mm-hmm. eternally in that way. Yeah. If you're, you know, if you're into that, I'm an atheist, so I don't know that. Whatever the case, we're we are the same people. Right. And we're we're the same thing. And I and now I I value and respect that more than I ever did because that wasn't really imparted on me as a child. Right. You know, I was always very fend for yourself kind of upbringing. I didn't have a bad. I had a great childhood. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, but it was very. What do you need? Let me show you how to do it. Let me show you how to get it. So next time you need it, you can just do it. And that's how I was raised. And so that's how I've, I've applied that to every aspect of my life. And in a lot of ways, I think that's good. But in a lot of ways, that's, that's hindered my ability to create meaningful relationships with people based on, based on a, a necessity right. of, of human interaction or, or you have this thing that I need or that I want. Mm-hmm. And we can cultivate a relationship based on that because... I would just go, well, I'll just go get my own. Uh-huh. I don't need that. Right. I don't need yours. I, right. I can go get it. But I don't know. I, since I think that that's such a great thing, that shift in perspective can, can completely alter. And I think that, that people are, are a little bit too, most people are a little bit too um, uh, knee-jerk reactionary to things then that they won't allow themselves to take the time to step back and say, why am I having such a hard time with this person? What is it? How can we change just this one thing or, you know what I mean? I, that's, that's basic human nature, uh, more than likely, but I, I've enjoyed this conversation, this very candid conversation with you so far in that I think our views align on a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And it and it comes from a, it comes from a place of experience where you you don't realize it until you realize it, and you live under that you live under that blanket of here's who I think I am, and then you perpetuate that until you realize that's not who you are, yeah. and then you don't have to spend time perpetuating that because that's just natural, yeah. and it's so much easier to be that. I had a a dream. About two weeks before this experience happened, where uh, I keep referring to it as, you know, where where the world just dropped off my shoulders, yeah. where that the depression just stopped. Yeah. Um, but about about two weeks before that, I had a dream. I woke up with the the insight that the Superman suit would always keep coming back. Like I would, I would have these um, great epiphanies, um, basically, you know, these little mini surrenders <laughs> yeah. where I felt like I would lay the Superman suit down. You know, it would usually come in the, in the face of some kind of failure or realization of, you know, just surrendering to whatever is going on. Right. You know, you fight it, fight it, fight it, and then finally... You have to realize, like, oh, I was wrong, or I'm failing here, or this is not working, and I have to let go. Uh, so I would have those experiences, but then the Superman suit would continue, would creep back slowly. Is mm-hmm. kind of how I would characterize it, and I would start to, uh, you know, be more of an asshole, uh, be more defensive, be more acquisitive. Of whatever whatever it is I'm trying to get, which mm-hmm. was usually respect, trying to get um, approval, right? And you know, it's funny as musicians, we we stop for a job review every f- three to five minutes. That's a 
crazy and very accurate way to think about it. So this dream that I had, I realized that the Superman suit would always come back as long as there was a body to put it on. Yeah. And I'm like, well, how do I, how do I get rid of this body? Yeah. You know, like, and it suddenly became very clear what Jesus was talking about in dying to yourself. Like, oh, maybe that's what, that's what that dude was talking about. Right. When he talked about dying to self. Like maybe that's the body that disappears, you know, this idea of, of a body that my, then my Superman suits right. always find themselves uh, hanging on. And, um, you know, I'm kind of rambling and lost my train of thought, but, um, it felt like in that experience where the world dropped off my shoulder, like that, that body disappeared. Yeah. And it didn't. But my ownership of it just relaxed or yeah. something, you know. And so that allowed me to to do that thing like you're talking about. And like, um, you know, you, you talk about using a trick mm-hmm. of projecting. This is the guy that goes into the bar. Mm-hmm. And it's about out here. It's got a little bubble. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's bigger. And he's an actor. And... But that's what, that's what all of us are doing. Yeah. Except the thing that gives you freedom with that is that you don't own him. He is not you. Right. He is, it's just, he's a guy that participates in this format on this stage. And you don't, since he's not real, Mm -hmm. You don't have ownership or don't take it so seriously. It doesn't hurt as much or so, you know, that can be a, that's like Ramana saying, you know, put shoes on, yeah, put leather soles on your feet. Don't pick out all the stones. That guy is like putting shoes on. Yeah. It's a mechanism. The truth is, is that our whole personalities really are that kind of mechanisms. It's just that we own them. Right. And when you stop owning it, it just gets way more fun. Yeah. Yeah. And I find myself every now and then, uh, latch and hold, you know, I still get my feelings hurt or whatever. Sure. Uh, but man, it's so much quicker to just, right. Oh, and this other thing of when, when I do have a bad day or I have, um, anxiety that's kind of lurking in the background, I'm like, Oh, I have anxiety lurking in the background. And I don't even really try to figure out why. You know, it used to be like, oh, well, there's some foreshadowing right. in doom or some imminent <laughs> right. danger or this is my <clears throat> perception. You know, sometimes you just got to go get a BLT or um, <laughs> or sometimes it just let it go. You yeah. know, our bodies go through all kinds of different changes. And, you know, especially, you know, we don't have that monthly cycle like a, a woman does with the menstrual thing. But, um, you know, that totally fucks with their heads uh and and uh, you know a lot of them sometimes uh you know have good friends that are it's like oh yeah this is what's going on and having that knowledge of like okay this is a hormonal change right. and it makes everything difficult so I just don't take it that seriously right now right doesn't mean you don't feel all of that right anxiety or, or anger yeah. or frustration one, you're one step ahead of you're it. You're one step ahead of it. Yeah. yeah. 
And that, yeah, that's... That's helpful. It's an invaluable tool invaluable. to Invaluable. Absolutely. I, that's, I, I don't... I, I agree with you in that my... That character, the, the bar character that I portray is I don't... It's not who I am, and I know that, but I have the control over it to turn it off when I'm around people that don't require that. Right. And there, I, there are those people like Chelsea. She knows when it's on, mm-hmm. and she treats me differently She's talking to that person yeah, because that's the person that everyone is seeing. Yeah. She doesn't talk to me behind the suit or in front of people. Do you know what oh, I mean? Right, right, right. And Interesting. That, and, that, and she knows that, mm-hmm. and I've seen it, mm-hmm. and I, we've, like, I've brought it up, and, and I, she does it on purpose. She's, yeah. she's perpetuating my, my public persona right. in, I, in a way that needs to happen publicly. If yeah. I'm talking to fans and shaking hands and signing stuff, yeah. she doesn't need to come at me with, why didn't you take the trash out? <laughs> kind of thing you know what i mean and she and she's good about that but then when i leave for driving home it's gone yeah and we can just have a normal conversation and 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 that's and she and she sees it and she knows who i was before yeah and those multiple personalities and then now and, and it's and i i i was the i believed that i was the person who was the drinking at the bar. Right. That was me. That mm-hmm. was me in my truest form, sure. I, I thought. Yeah. And so I would portray myself that way, and I would, I would perpetuate that personality. Yeah. And that's what was driving me into, into the depression and into the, the just being unsatisfied with myself physically but not having the determination to fix it, go to the gym or whatever. Like, yeah. I just wouldn't. I would look at myself and go, that's gross. And then i go lay down because it made me sad. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so... And I, 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 that was who I thought I was. And this whole, this whole experience, just like you're saying, is this, it's, it's so different now. My whole life is so different now. And I just, I, I wish, I try really hard. This is a real thing is that I try really hard to not be preachy about it. Yeah. I only talk about it if someone asks me about mm-hmm. it, unless I'm on a podcast with my name on it, then I can talk about whatever I want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but I only bring it up if, or talk yeah. about it if someone wants to talk about yeah. it. Because I don't care if people drink. I don't care that, that you like to drink. Chelsea likes to drink. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. Because yeah. That's, who, that's what you do and that's who you are. It doesn't matter. It just didn't work for me. Exactly. I didn't do it. It's not about drinking. No. We're not drinking. No. Although not drinking can be very revelatory to all of these things that we're talking about. It can. It, it can be. Because you can really hide in because oh, yeah. it fogs stuff up. Absolutely. You, know I mean? you crawl into that bottle and you live there. And that's and, and it it becomes a, you become a different person. Also, biologically, it changes it alters your chemicals in your body and it yeah. lives there. It takes it takes months for the for the alcohol to fully be uh, processed and eliminated from you, but it takes months to wow. do that. And you don't realize the full benefits of it. I had someone about at the four month mark, I had a lady come up to me and, and I had mentioned it into the mic. Someone offered me to buy me a shot and I said, no, I don't drink whatever I hadn't drank in a few months. And she said, you know what you should do is you should go get health insurance right now. Oh, because when they do their test on you, you don't have any of that stuff and you'll get a better plan and for like half the price uh-huh. because you're not a drinker and because you don't smoke cigarettes yeah. and these things. And I was, it never even occurred to me. And then she explained to me that if you had done it within a couple of weeks, it would have been like you drank yesterday. Right. But since it's been this amount of months, I thought that was interesting because people don't treat alcohol like it's a drug. 
Oh yeah. And it's it's arguably one of the more dangerous one of the worst ones yeah. for you. And it accumulates yeah. in your body and it poisons your organs. You know, people with liver failure, it's and it's just it's so people don't treat it that way. I see a lot of commercials for uh, addiction. Yeah treatment uh you know with those phone numbers and all the people are talking about is heroin and meth and cocaine and i used to do these drugs and all that but they always say in the verbiage in the text it always says drugs and alcohol yeah but you don't ever have a person on there attesting to being addicted to alcohol right you know going to one of those places and i wish that they would do that more so i've never been into that other stuff right and so you sort of justify it because it's legal i didn't think it was an issue yeah, yeah. why if it was that bad for me they wouldn't let me do it yeah you know, which I don't take that stance on things. I think people should be able to do most of the things that they want to do because in a lot of decriminalized countries, drug use goes down yeah. and, and overdosage goes down. Well, and violence goes way down. And violence goes way down. Let's look at Colorado. I mean, their DUIs and, and, and just drunk car accidents in general, it's gone down like 80% in Colorado since they legalized recreational marijuana. It's hilarious because the... There's verbiage and propaganda on the right that says it's gone up. Yeah, and that's so false. <laughs> and they've generated tens of millions of dollars in taxes. Oh, my and revenues. God, they're, they're swimming in money. The highways are, are all getting repaired in the yep. process. I just drove from Denver mm-hmm. into Steamboat, and all new highways everywhere. Uh, and the schools are being overfunded. Their uh, Schools have laptops, and all the kids have everything they need. And the teachers are getting more money, which is one of the things that I am a strong proponent of, is teachers getting paid more. But Well, we tried this before. We tried prohibition of alcohol. It didn't work. It was terrible. It didn't created work. created a lot of violence. It did. It and a lot of illegal people being jailed for just nonsense. Yeah. And the whole illegal, uh, the outlawing of marijuana had nothing to do with marijuana being marijuana. It had to do with... The fact that there was a gentleman specifically who started the whole thing who ran a paper mill. I can't think of his name. He ran a paper mill, and hemp as paper was easier to make, faster to grow, and cheaper to make. And he didn't want that to become a thing because he would have gone out of business and become bankrupt. So he ran about 15 newspapers, and he started all of these, every stereotype that we still think of today, like jazz musicians being stoners mm-hmm. and, and Mexicans he being published lazy. He did, and he published it in like 15 major source newspapers. And then everyone went, well, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. You know, black people are smoking weed and, yeah. and doing illegal things. And, you didn't, and that, none of that was happening. Reefer madness. Exactly. And he created this whole thing, and then the government stepped in and made it illegal, and then he got to keep his business. And that, that's what started all of this. And now they, and they refused to even do government-sanctioned testing I know. until like just 20 years ago or less, 10 years yeah. ago. And not very much of it till and just not recently. Until fairly recently yeah. when it became legal in a couple of states. And now they're going, oh, crap. Like, there's like for CBD oil mm-hmm. that you can extract. It's not even psychoactive. No, you don't get high. No, you just, it's, it's got these tremendous anti-inflammatory properties. Yeah. And it helps people. There are children who take capsules of CBD and other, with, mixed with other things who have seizures on a daily basis. And they get on a daily regimen of these capsules and they never have another seizure again. It's the craziest renewable resource that we have so untapped into. It's it's unbelievable, and I'm not even resistance to it is what's unbelievable. It's crazy, all this old school madness, and I don't even really like doing it very much, and I don't even hardly ever do it. No, I rarely. I don't like it at all. I rarely do it. I do it only if I am super anxious, and even then, I I generally don't have access to it because I live in Texas. So it. 
I mean, and even even then, I think that it's the most insane thing that we that we outlawed, and that it's a federal crime. It's on the same level as as running heroin across the border. Like those people get the same penalties as if you have an, a, a a one gram in yeah. your car. Yeah. Well, a lot of times you get a longer sentence than a violent crime. It's insanity. It's absolutely and insanity. and the, and the insanity is below the borders. You know. Um, the narco trafficking. Oh yeah. The the there's a war going on down there. Oh yeah. And we're funding it. Yeah. Because white people want to snort cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Or smoke pot, or shoot heroin. Right. And it's got to come from somewhere. We cook our own meth here, but uh, yeah. The <laughs> actually, they bring a lot of meth in. Yeah. And that all that would go away if we just legalized it. Yeah. Or just decriminalized it. Decriminalize it. Okay. Now let's deal with the problem. And uh, you know. For some reason, that sounds like insanity to some people because uh, they think it's, you know, everyone will start doing meth. Right. It doesn't work that way. It hasn't worked that way in other countries. I could get meth today if I wanted it. Oh, yeah. I don't want it. If it becomes legal, I'm still not going to want it. Still not going to want it. And I, you know. And I've tried it. Believe me. Sure. I smoked some meth one time in Austin. Because I was falling down. I could not. I was finishing this concrete floor and. Some, you know, one of my friends came by and saw me just flailing and it was getting away from me. He's like, oh, you want some motivation? (laughs) And, you know, normally I'm just like, nah, thanks. Because my experiences with those kind of drugs before had not been, you know, just a couple of times here or there trying cocaine. Um, Didn't. Sure. Didn't didn't not like it. Sure. Didn't like the next day, especially. Sure. Just terrible feeling. And uh, but anyway, so I tried this and it was awesome. <laughs> I mean, I felt interested in everybody and everything. I felt all this unconditional love. Yeah. Like if you had described that to me uh, in relationship to meth, uh, just because it didn't fit any stereotype that no. I thought of. But. Uh, that was it. I never did it again. Yeah. You know, it's been like 12 years ago or something. If it, uh, you know, those things get away from you and you get a little too deep into them. And that's when you get the stereotype. Yeah. You know, the teeth and the the rashes and the, all that yeah. stuff. But but my point is, is like, believe me, if I wanted to, I, there's no, you can get whatever you want. Absolutely. You really can. At any time. Yeah. Yeah. So what are they thinking? No. Let's decriminalize it. To take the violence out of it. Right. The war that, if, you know, if there were that many white people dying on this side of the border sure. as a result of American narco-trafficking, yeah. uh, we'd do something about it. Absolutely. Yeah. American but citizens. But there's just brown people down there, so let them, <clears throat> let them rot or whatever. It's, I don't know. It's an interesting theory, and I, and it's, I think it's been to a point proven with yeah. Washington and Colorado and mm-hmm. In California now, and and if they, if you after this recent election, there are a ton of states that went medicinal. New Mexico being one of them, yep. they went medicinal. Uh, almost half the country now at this oh, point. Yeah. I mean, it's happening. It's happening, and and I think that that's the first step toward uh, just moving forward with with all this antiquated stuff that we're being forced with all these all these people who are making laws who are seventy plus years old that the laws in place benefit them, but they don't benefit the advancement of our society. And I, I have a real problem with that. And I, I, the terms are too long. They get paid too much money. They have too much power and, it, and it's a, it's a real problem, but it's this system that's been in place for 400 years and there's really nothing that can be done about it until 
well, the whole system gets turned not on its 400 head. years. Well, you know what I mean? <laughs> but you know, the whole, the, I don't know. I just, it, that, that whole thing is strange. And then you have the contingency of people who, who all they want to do is follow the rules. And so they think that marijuana is terrible be, just because it's illegal. And then right. once it's not illegal anymore, then do whatever you want. But it's like, well, you're not helping the cause right. by perpetuating this, this thought, you know? Yeah. There's some serious downsides to prohibition in general. I watched but the, 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 on the political thing. Sure. Go ahead. You watched. I watched um, uh, that show on HBO with Steve Buscemi. Uh, it's about the Prohibition era, mm-hmm. uh, and he's a he's a, a organized criminal. Yeah. But the show, the the beginning of the whole show series starts with the beginning of Prohibition, and then him figuring out how to run alcohol and do right. all that stuff. Yeah. And it's violent, and the whole thing was very crazy and and a lot of stuff that's based on very loosely on this certain guy that existed yeah uh story based on him but seeing all these speakeasies and all this stuff that that people people were going to get it if they wanted it they were going to get it you can make it in your bathtub they sold bags of something that had directions of how not to make alcohol with using this don't take this and put it in your bathtub for Mm -hmm. six weeks Mm -hmm. or else it'll create alcohol and that's illegal so make sure you don't use these ingredients in this amount or else (laughs) or else it'll be become delicious delicious whiskey yeah well on the other hand um it i've read some things about um abuse of alcohol recently in colleges and um and you and i are talking about abusing alcohol for our own, um, per, you know, as a medication, anxiety, yeah. you know, abusing. Uh, and I wonder, I wonder if I would drink as much if it weren't so readily available legally. Um, so, you know, I'm, that sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but. Um, You know, I don't not smoke pot because it's illegal. Right. I don't smoke it because I don't like the way I feel on it. Right. Um, right. I happen to enjoy the effects of alcohol. Um, and there's a little quandary there because I would love it if I could drink beer and not get drunk. Right. You know, maybe there's a little bit of the first couple that feel that seems good. Then I wish it would stop. Right. But I do find myself drinking to excess uh, more than, certainly more than I should, you know, right. for as far as healthy wise goes. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so I wonder, I know that um, there are some other mammals, you know, elephants will go crush fruit on the ground and then let mm-hmm. it ferment and come back and eat it and mm-hmm. get plastered. Yeah. Which um, is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it's it seems to be part of the mammalian brain sure um, altering your state yeah. of mind altering your state mm-hmm. of consciousness peyote and peyote uh, they've been all making, of they've been making beer for thousands of years yeah in fact there's there's that one documentary that credits beer as really the um the motivation for civilization <laughs> and and agriculture yeah yeah so i can see that you know, certainly has procreative benefits. <laughs> yeah, I could see that for sure. <laughs> they made a pretty good case. I don't know. Um, it was kind of funny, but um, 
Well, it's definitely it's a social gathering. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. I think when most people like if you talk to someone, you you ask them and they say, "Well, I only drink in you know when I'm at the bar. Yeah. I don't drink at home, right. or I drink in social settings." And you know, I I don't. There's nothing wrong with that. It becomes an issue like you were saying in college campuses. The whole point is to get as drunk as possible. That's when it becomes an issue. Yeah. When the college and in high school, like my and when I was in high school. My parents were very zero tolerance with anything. Yeah. You know, I had a curfew. Mm-hmm. I had, and, I, and they meant it, you know, yeah. and I tested it and I was wrong and they meant it. I, you know what I mean? Yeah. I figured it out where my boundaries were and, and they were zero tolerance about everything. But I had a friend whose parents was, were the complete opposite of that. And we could go to his house and their parents would take our car keys and they would go, what do you want? We're going to go to the store. We'll get you something. And you stay here. You don't leave. Yeah. You stay here. We'll keep an eye on you. Everything's cool. Yeah. And so we, I would go there. Mm-hmm. And I, I had a lot of friends that didn't have that outlet. And, and when they finally got the freedom that they wanted, when Off they turned the 18. Yeah, when you go to college for the first time. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I had, a, I had a curfew until the day I left for college. I had already graduated high school. I was 18 years old. And through the summer until I left, I had a curfew still. Wow. And, and when I got to college, my first couple of months of college, I, I can't tell you how many nights I stayed up all night just doing whatever mm-hmm. just because I could because there's right. no one there to tell me that I couldn't. Right. And I figured it out. You figured it out. Eventually. But mm-hmm. some people don't figure it out. And with drinking, I had been, I had been uh, privied to drinking it to as much as I want. I right. figured myself out right. to the point where before I even graduated high school, I didn't really care for drinking that much yeah. because I figured it out. I went through the whole spectrum mm-hmm. under a very close microscope of, of adults yeah. who were keeping me from hurting myself and hurting mm-hmm. other people, which I'm very thankful for that. I learned how to do it properly. <laughs> a lot of people don't have that. Yeah. And, and then I figured out, I became the guy that if, if I'd be the driver, I would be the one that I'm not going to drink. Yeah. I'll drive you guys around so yeah. I can know that you're safe. One, I know that all my friends are safe. One mm-hmm. and two, I don't really need to drink. I don't feel like it. I don't want to. Yeah. And I'm 17 at this point going, I'll go to the house party and I'll be the one chauffeuring people back and forth because then I feel better. Like I'm doing something helpful. Right. But, but I have friends that, that didn't have that and they would go to those house parties once a month and there would be unlimited amounts of liquor and beer and they would get so drunk that they'd be throwing up stomach, you know, stomach poisoning, mm-hmm. alcohol poisoning. And you go, like, did you not feel that coming on? Did you not feel that you were so, you couldn't walk, but you were still drinking? Like, I, it's, it's such an interesting, it's such an interesting thing. And then, you, you know, you think about the prohibition, and, and that's, how I, you, that's how I felt. Because it's, it, to, in my mind, as a child, it was illegal to me. Yeah. And I'm going to wherever I got to go to get it. But I have this comfortable outlet where right. I'm under this close roof, which I found out later. My parents, these, my friends that I would go to this house with one of my best friends then and still is. Uh, my parents were like, can I have a glass of wine with dinner? No, you're right. under 21. Right. But my, this, this, my friend's parents called my parents the first time that they, before they let me do it. Oh. And my parents said, yes. Interesting. I had no idea. And yeah. I remember I was like 24 and I brought it up to my mom. He's like, yeah, we used to go over to Clay's house and we would, you know, his parents would buy us beer and we'd drink and play pool. They had this upstairs area, like a, over the garage apartment. Uh-huh. And so it was cut off in the house. We could be as loud as we wanted, music yep. and pool. They had a pool table. It was so much fun. And we, I told my mom, I was like, yeah, they, you know, his mom would go buy us beer. And she was like, I know. I told her she could. And I was like, what? Yeah. What are you, why? Like, why didn't you tell me, you know, why couldn't I do this at home? And then I'd come home the next you know, year later and they're still not letting me 
have yeah. a glass of wine with dinner or something, a glass of champagne at a wedding or something like that. It's so crazy to me that that thought. But they knew that I was in a safe spot. Mm-hmm. And they knew that they could still project their rules and be parents. Right. So it kind of makes sense to me now. Sure. Because his parents were a lot more lax with rules. You know, he didn't have a curfew and he could, he was a lot more freedom than I had. Yeah. But in that one area, they were, knew that I was in a good spot. So that it, it makes sense to a point. But if I didn't have that, I don't know what I would have done because of how crazy I went in college my first couple of months. I don't know. Had I not had my intro to alcohol there, I don't yeah. know what I would have done. Yeah on alcohol because it was just as readily available there. Yeah. You know, and I pledged a fraternity and you know, everyone's, so I don't know. And even with that, um, you know, that sober, (laughs) let's put that in quotes, um, introduction or, or, uh, you know, a padded, you, you, the, the, the walls were padded or the gates were padded. Yeah. You got to do it, but not in a way that, um, you could really hurt yourself, but then you get to, you know, 30 years of age and you find that, you know what? I gotta, I gotta stop using alcohol Yeah, because it's masking something. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes it doesn't matter how some people get introduced to it, Yeah. Uh, you know, in a really good way or a really terrible way. Um, it's going to be a problem if it's gonna or it's not going to be a problem, you. Yeah, absolutely. you know, or whatever. Anyway. I was never really the one that would drink to excess. If I right. did, it was on accident. That's interesting. You know, you, people feed you shots. I knew how many drinks I could have yeah. per hour. And generally, I'm, I play five, six, seven shows a week. So I'm in a bar every mm-hmm. night. Yep. And so I'm, but I'm, if I'm playing from 7 to 10, I'm getting there at 5 or 5.30. I'm not leaving until midnight, yep. packing things up, talking to people, whatever. So that's a long time yeah, of being there. And I knew within that amount of time and, and spacing them out, I knew how many drinks I could have one, maybe two in an hour. Right. And I was comfortable with that, but I was lubricated enough that I felt fine right. around people. But that's a lot of drinks over yeah. the course of six, seven hours right. from five o'clock to midnight. Yeah. You know, I'm having eight, nine, 10 drinks, which sounds like a lot, but when you're just sitting there and you're eating and you're hanging out, it's, I'm never drunk. Right. I get drunk when people start handing you shots. That's yeah. when I get messed up. Cause I lose count of what I had. Right. But then you think about it. I did that for, for however many years since I turned 21. I mean, yeah. I've been doing this for a living and, and every night, you know, for nine years. And that's yeah. a lot of alcohol built yeah. into my system in a way, in a manner that I didn't feel like I was abusing it. Right. I know that I'm not addicted to it because I quit and I never looked back and I don't crave it. Uh, every now and then I crave a Dos Equis. Yeah. If it's hot outside, I play mm. a lot of golf. Sure. So when I'm hot, that's every now and then I go, that would probably be pretty good. But then I don't do it because yeah. I don't want to. But, um, but I don't feel I, I, I that's just a, that's a lot of buildup over yeah. a long period of time when I didn't think that I was really abusing it. Right. But then I look back and I go, okay, well, that was a ton of alcohol I was drinking constantly. And so I, I don't, I don't know that people, even social drinkers would realize What's, hap- what's actually happening because they go a couple of days without drinking and it doesn't matter. But then when they do, they go drinking to excess and they go, they go out to get as fucked up as possible. And, you know, that's the college mindset. And it's, it's interesting to watch people go through that, that realization, I guess. Yeah. And it was interesting for myself anyway. I don't know. I don't care. I, people can do whatever they want. I don't care. I, just, I don't want people to hurt themselves, but that's a fine line because you can't govern that. No. I don't want people to hurt other people. I, you know, I think Uber is one of the greatest things that's ever happened. And 
Austin Bandit. Did you know that? I know. It's the craziest thing. It was finally explained to me why they banned it. Uh, and very loosely, the way I understand it is that cab drivers got upset. Mm-hmm. And someone in the cab driving community proposed that Uber does not background check their drivers. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong on any of this. But then Uber said, well, we do just as much as you do. Mm-hmm. We just don't have a license like you do. And for some reason, all of a sudden, that caused a huge backlash yeah. to Uber consumers even though they're getting the same background check. And so Austin passed a bill that said you are required now to have this license. And Uber said, well, we're not going to spend the money to do that. And they said, well, then you got to go. Uber and Lyft, both out of Austin. Yeah, one of the most progressive cities in the country. And uh, it's just turned out to be backwards. I, I couldn't believe it when, he told, when my friend told me about that. It's, it's protectionism. You know, it's, sure. it's a mono- they're trying to maintain their, their market share in the face of a disruptive technology that everyone loves and uses. Yeah. Um, I use it even though I don't drink. Yeah. I'll use it because it's yeah. convenient. Yeah. Just because I don't. Well, parking is so shitty down in Austin. Uh, yeah. Whatever. And in Fort Worth. There are $5 to go from West 7th to the stockyards yeah. versus driving around for 20 minutes trying to find a parking spot and then yeah. wondering if your car is going to get broken into. Yeah. I can park it in a nice parking lot where I know it won't get broken into. It's been $4. That's worth it to me. Yeah. Absolutely. I do it all the time. Yep. Well, there's, there's a lot of changes afoot like that, and, and it's nothing new for, uh, you know, groups of people, be it corporations or, or unions or, or whatever, you know, to try to protect they're the old way of making money, and that's what we're seeing with the oil companies and um, all of the fossil fuel industries. We have really good alternatives that we could already be uh, have s- switched over and, and have a cleaner planet and, uh, and maybe even uh, you know have, have a long future as, as humanity on this planet. Sure. Unless we go to Mars. Well, we're working on it. Elon Musk. Yep. (laughs) He's trying to to use his billions of dollars to save humanity. 200,000 people at a time. Well, one thing's for certain. Uh, You know, if if we don't do something to uh, wipe ourselves out, uh, there have been several mass extinctions on this planet already. And... uh, uh, it's bound to happen again. It's arrogant to think that it wouldn't happen to us. And even if that doesn't happen, even if we find a way to nuke uh, an asteroid that's going to hit us, because it will hit us, sure, big enough ones to you know, just they, they, there's an interesting uh, Long Now Foundation podcast on on this technology that, that you know, there's a private company actually working on getting a um, a system out there in space that will. Uh, be able to destroy or divert an asteroid that would hit us. It's just stationary up in space, just waiting. Yeah, and it's a really neat podcast, and I highly recommend the Long Now Foundation. Yeah. Uh, it, they have, there's probably 140 podcasts on there of all yeah. the smartest people on the planet. And yeah. It's like a TED Talk, except um, they talk for a long time like we're doing, yeah. you know, and then they have questions and answers. So it's not just like a little 
blurb and right. a teaser. You can really get down dirty with it. Yeah. But anyway, um, you know, the government wasn't going to do it. Our government wasn't going to do it. So it's a, it's a privately funded corporation or a company that's, that's building that thing. But yeah, I had some other point other than bringing that up. But, um, oh, so even if we don't get wiped out by some um, volcano or, or our own hand, uh, you know, carbon emissions ruining our, our beautiful uh, ecosystem or an asteroid hitting us, our sun's going to explode at some point. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. it's going to, stars don't last forever. So, right. you know, it's a couple billion years away. But should we make it that long as a as a a race or as, as a, a species? I mean, yeah, as a species, not a race. But uh, we we have to get yeah. to some other rock. Yeah, that Outside has some of- sort of similar atmosphere where our yeah. five senses function. And of course, you know, in a couple billion years, we 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 may not look anything like we look now. Yeah, it may look more like your computer or you know something i don't know that that's that's a wild thing that's happening in our lifetime and yeah and it may really be the defining characteristic of our future yeah for sure as i it's interesting to see uh uh, small children five and under who can operate ipads Mm -hmm. with complete success yeah better than adults who have Mm -hmm. had them longer better than grandma who have had them since they came out yeah and that's, I think that's such a, such a small concentrated form of evolution that's happened so quickly yeah. that, that, cause I remember being in elementary school and having, we had a computer lab this is in the mid to late mid nineties, I yeah. guess, early nineties. And we had a computer lab and there were 10 computers in it and you just, you'd go and you'd learn how to type yep. and you'd play these, these very, very remedial games mm-hmm. and the discs were you Huge. Know, laser discs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were 12 inches across. Yeah. And then getting into middle school and all the teachers had computers. There were still labs, but there were more of them. And then into high school, everyone's got their own computer at home. Yeah. And I remember switching over. We, I grew up on a, on a ranch and we had, we had one of those uh, flip the channel TVs. Oh, like yeah. Turn, turn, yeah. turn like, the like, knob. Like. Yeah. And we had like three channels. And then I remember... We and, didn't even have a TV. Yeah. I, well, I mean, we might as well not have had a TV. It wasn't because there weren't TVs. Yeah. Because there was a religious, uh, oh, you know, yeah. Mom didn't think that we should be contaminated with sure. that filth. I, well, that's understandable, <laughs> I guess. We didn't have one. Uh, we had that, but we didn't use it very much. We had horses and, yeah. you know, whatever. So I did that. I was interested in that. But, and then going into high school, when you would make a, like a, a, an English paper for your English class, if you hand wrote it, you would get points taken off. Oh. They made you, they made us type it. Yeah. And so if you didn't have access to a computer, there were a lot of less well-off children than myself mm-hmm. who didn't have access to a computer. And so they had to write it out like normal and then come into school early or stay late and on the, in the computer lab and yeah. type it out. And it's like, well, that's not fair. Yeah. You know, and I enjoyed writing. I enjoyed handwriting. I, I, my, my mom is a speech pathologist and she's got several degrees, uh, graduate degrees that are around that in English. So she's very, very eloquent. And she taught me, she taught my sister and I at a very young age to be eloquent and to be, Mm -hmm. to speak properly Mm -hmm. and all of that. And so I enjoyed writing and reading and all of that. And, and handwriting a paper was cathartic to me. And it still is. I still do free writing in notebooks and stuff by hand. 
my hand will cramp because I rarely do it. Right. I'm so fo- I'm still so focused on this computer, but I remember turning in a paper and getting points taken off for handwriting the paper because she said that that my notebook sheet paper would have was less words than it would have been had I typed it out. And so in, in her mind, I did, I did less work. Yeah, so I got shorted points because mm-hmm. of that. And I took that home, and I was so mad. Mm. And my mom just went, well, if that's the way it's going to go, then do it, do it that way. Handwrite it, and then write it in the computer, and cool. it was whatever. But that's such a crazy thing. And then, and then seeing children who are – some children, they can barely even talk, and they can operate an iPad, get to the app they want, and watch a little goofy show or play a little game, and they're learning games and all this stuff. It's so crazy to see that. When I didn't have, we didn't have any of that when I was a kid. I'm, you know, I'm only 30 and that really You're wasn't, only 30. It wasn't yeah. that long ago. It really, all this technology, I remember getting my first cell phone when I was 16. My parents wouldn't buy me a cell phone until I was 16 and it was one of those Nokia bricks. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and it was, you know, I'm texting and doing all the stuff and then it kept getting smaller and more advanced and I didn't get an iPhone until I was like 23 I held out. I had the Razor or whatever flip phone I had yeah. <laughs> until I was like 23, and then I got an iPhone, and I went, I'm not going to use any of this. this. This map, this GPS, and this stuff, I don't need any of that. And I can't imagine going an hour without it, <laughs> without looking at it. And well, they're extending our brains, that was and they're extending our consciousness. Ago. That was 15 years ago. Yeah. And that's such, in the it's grand scheme of things, oh, my God, it's yeah. nothing. And my brain, there's no way my brain is any smarter than it was back then. No, your brain is actually not as smart. Because it doesn't need to be. Yeah, exactly. It's like Einstein said, why would I memorize all the shit in this book? Yeah. Because I can have that book right on my desk anytime. Exactly. I can free up my brain to do other things. Exactly. So, you know, it's a double-edged sword. We have, it's so powerful and yet it's so distracting. Whatever. I don't know. It's just nature's doing it. You know, iPhones are natural, just like uh, oak trees. It's a process for sure. So I don't know what nature's doing, but it's and big, it doesn't doesn't necessarily always do um, good things. Sure, it there's a lot of destruction. Death is part of life. Sure, death is 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 part of that big cycle of birth, death, birth, death. Life encompasses both, right. and you know we have such a, a narrow perspective as a as a human, even though it's bigger than apparently any other mammal. It's sure. pretty. It's pretty interesting. It's pretty clever. Yeah. Um, but it's still pretty narrow. Yeah. And we don't know what the fuck is going on. <laughs> no. You know. No, we don't. We don't. But it'll make it'll make Hitler's and and uh, whatnot, and it'll make Gandhi's yeah. and Martin Luther Kings, and it'll make Donald Trumps, and you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't have a clue. I think we should go. Uh, I think we should probably ban corporate money funding our elections. Absolutely. If we could just do that, a lot of things would probably shape up and we would get to have, the people would get to have more of a voice. Absolutely. The popular vote often is not the outcome of the election. And that's so crazy to me. I don't really want to talk about politics too much because I don't know enough about it. I'll say say something dumb, I'm sure. But I know for a fact that the popular vote in my lifetime has has numerous times numerous times been opposite of the electorate yes and that does not college. make sense to me and well that, and we don't use the electoral college like like it was designed to no you know that was a buffer between straight democracy and a representative kind of republic right sort of thing 
But the, now they, you know, they don't make an informed decision. They are not like, you, you know, your trusted leaders that make a decision for you. They just go vote the way you voted them right. to vote. Or the way they grew up voting. Well, the Electoral College now never goes against its vote. Like, it, so Michigan went for Trump. So all of the electoral votes right. in the Electoral College go for Trump. Mm-hmm. They don't sit around and decide for us like it was designed to do. Well, maybe, you know, we really think we should have Hillary or whatever. So if, if the entire popular vote of a county who has one electoral vote right. votes a certain way, the electoral vote cannot go against that or can it? It can constitutionally, but it never does now. Okay. So, so it, it, it is so in how essence the- a popular vote, except that. So it's used just as a popular vote. The fact that we don't just have a straight popular vote seems kind of insane now because the Electoral College does not function in any kind of uh, decision-making capacity, which is what it was designed to do. They just reflect their popular vote. Does that have anything to do with with population being concentrated within one electoral vote area? Does that make sense? Like if, if, if you're in, if you're in Montana and you have X amount of, of, of electoral votes, there are much fewer people than if you're in LA or in New York, who there are way more people with almost the same amount of electoral votes per state. Does, is that, or is that not how it works? Well, California has way more electoral votes than Montana. Is it because of the population? Yes. Okay. So it's monitored a little bit more than Absolutely. that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's very close. That makes sense. I just don't it's know just, that much about it. It's just that it doesn't function as an electorate body. Right. So how is it that the popular vote does not, how is it that the electoral vote does not represent the popular vote? How is that? So um, the way that it's, uh, it, here it gets a little fuzzy to me, but uh, elect, because a state um, you may have a landslide for one candidate uh-huh. in California, let's say. Uh-huh. Um, and so when, if, if there is, even if it's only one, uh, even if one candidate only wins by one vote, all the electoral votes in that state right. go for that candidate. So you may have in another state, a landslide, for the opposite right. candidate, yep. but all of the votes go for that candidate. Uh, again, it can get skewed because either winning, you, you win a whole state's electoral votes mm-hmm. by one vote or by millions. Right, right. Okay, that makes more sense then. And so it actually seems to sort of help divide the country in a way. Absolutely. You know? This past one was crazy divided. I mean, people... Uh, man, I don't know. People need to learn the difference between a debate and an argument. <laughs> that that bothers me. I get into those often about music. Yeah. I don't think that there is any such thing as bad music. There's music that I don't like. There's a lot of music that I don't like. But if it's gotten to my radar, enough people like it yeah. that, that think it's yeah. good. Do you know what I mean? So I try really hard yeah. to not say that something is bad. Right. It's not for me. Right. And I'm not their target demographic. Right. And I can accept that and yep. move on without mm-hmm. saying something shitty. Sure. 
But I get into arguments with people, not debates, but arguments with people who think that Nashville country is the is the devil and Texas country is where is the best. Right. You know what I mean? And they have this really aggressive, aggressive anti yeah. anti Nashville movement. Mm-hmm. And then you go, okay, well, who are your favorite artists? And they'll name some people off and I'll go, well, sounds just like Nashville where, artists. Well, where do you think they wrote those songs? Mm-hmm. Where do you think they got those songs from? Where yeah. do you think they went to make their record? You hate it because it's it's this will name. It's the same thing. This country is so divided, politically red and blue, and it just doesn't. Everyone everyone generally wants the same thing, like you said earlier, in life and in and in commerce, and everyone wants to be profitable, and everyone nobody really wants to fuck anybody over, but people will. Yes, they will, and they and they have no problem with that. But everyone generally wants the same thing. Yeah. What well, I think where we get so screwed up politically is that these people are telling you they have your best interest in mind and they couldn't be more polar opposite. And they, they're only perpetuating their own personal interests. Yeah. And so on that note, if you follow the money. Yeah. Um, the, money's like... Money's like water. It finds its way. You know, sure. it, it, it goes its own way. You can try, you can divert a river to some degree. You can dam it up, you know, but it always is going to find its way. Yeah. And it's a lot like gravity too. It just has a pervasive effect and it's great. I just think that, um, you know, we've seen a huge amount of money moving to the top. Mm-hmm. Our world is changing a lot. I think capital is moving east. Um, the the influence in the world is moving east. Um, there are so many more people coming out of poverty in the east. China and Korea and Taiwan, um, and they're they're getting very skillful at manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we love all our plastic shit and our go- you know this. I mean, we're everything on this our, table. Everything on this table. <laughs> Are in our phones. We love all this stuff, and it yeah. wouldn't be possible if white people built it because white people are too expensive. And um, unions. Well, <laughs> and and you know we're losing jobs at a fast rate. You know that yeah. globalization is taking Western civilization down. Yeah, down a peg, hopefully, or two. Yeah, and hopefully not more. Right. We, you know, we don't have. For white babies. Yeah. Um, the world is changing very quickly. Yeah. And it's going to be painful for a lot of folks. You know, the world is a painful place for a lot of folks right now. Yeah. Um, we, you know, most of the world does not live like we live. Right. This is not normal. Right. The rest of the world hasn't come to this level of, of affluence and uh, don't have cold beer and hot showers all the time. Right. But it's changing, and they're getting more of it, and they want more of it. And the more they get, the more they're going to want. And you know, I don't. I don't know. It's it, everything is changing very quickly, and I think we need to be wise about um, sharing. Yeah. And we need to be. Uh, we need. <laughs> we're not gonna make America great again <laughs> by saying so. Right. Right. And by protecting ourselves, <laughs> you know, this is. It's going to happen by letting some more other colored people in on the goods, you know, which they're going to 
they're taking it anyway. Right. And we want them to. Right. Well, globalization makes a lot more sense. If we were invaded by aliens, a lot of that stuff will go out the window. Yeah. By an aggressive... By having a common enemy. Alien species. Yeah. A lot of issues would be shelved and put on hold, at least, and not perpetuated. I don't know. Well, and it would seem like maybe our common enemy could be... um, Global warming, you know, right. something that affects everyone, but the, the biggest resistors to it are, are our country here, mm-hmm. and because Big corporations, we're not getting going to be affected by it as much. You right. know, we don't we don't have subsistence uh, living at the edge of the seashore. Right. You know, our our breadbasket is in the middle of our country, and we we feed ourselves with diesel fuel. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, all of that to say that my day-to-day life probably isn't going to be affected too much by the recent events, other than little things that I can do to try to change and try to help the cause. You can, yeah, and there probably are probably not. You can hope. You can hope, <laughs> but there, you know, there ideally. You know, with all of the drastic shifts in politics, my I still get to play music for a living and yeah. I still get to go fishing. And, you know, I, I have my views and I tend to lean a lot more to the left on just basic rights, human rights and civil mm-hmm. rights issues globally. But, you know, you could do your part to help and, and then continue living your life. There's, you know, you're I, I think people are, are responsible for their surroundings to a point. But. You know, I, I live in America and I, I kind of, I'm fortunate and I don't live in, in impoverished parts of India where they don't even have running water and I can do my part to help that. But what more, you know, what, what else can I do other than just kind of live my life and do what I'm doing? I I feel for those people. And I have a lot of friends in Fort Worth that are actually on that specific uh, tangent, trying to help those people and yeah. adopting, you know, Indian children and doing that. But, you know, there's my day to day life isn't really affected. I still, you know, I still do what I do. I, I have to survive my survival instinct. You know, my compassion for the world is is trumped only, which I hate the fact that the word Trump now is still being used as the word trumped. I think we need to come up with a new word for the word for the for the. Trump verb, card. The verb Trump. Because that, it, it, I, I feel weird when people say that now. Yeah. Because that name and that word means something different than it used to. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I didn't go fishing while I was here and I thought Damn about it. it. It's really cold outside. Snowed is real cold. It wasn't cold the day we got here. No. I were, and John Carl offered uh, to take me out and then it blizzarded for about six inches that, that night. It's been snowing ever since, pretty much, and I, I've looked, I walked down the river uh, by the lifts, and I didn't see any fish. I don't know where they go when it gets this cold. Do they go anywhere, or do they just kick it where they are? They go into the deeper pools. Yeah, it's warmer at the bottom, up by the beaver ponds and all that area. Sometimes they move long ways, a long ways. Um, there's deeper pools than you might think here and there, but um, they, get, uh, they get real inactive you know, their metabolism shuts way down. Yeah. But there's, you know, I've, we had to power outage yesterday morning mm-hmm. and, um, I kind of considered going fishing in that snowstorm 
down on the Red River. I prefer to hike down into the gorge, but um, I was thinking, oh, I don't want to slip and slide all the way down that thing. And then back up. And then slip and slide back up, yeah. So we'll see if those, maybe if some, those trails melt a little bit, I might slide on down. Yeah. It's, you, it, it can get real slow. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, you're from Michigan, right? Yeah, originally. Is that, did you fly fish and stuff up there when you were growing no, up? No, my grandpa did, um, but... You know, it's hard to teach a kid to fly fish, um, so we would always use spinning rods and worms and yeah. whatnot, but we fished a lot. Yeah. We'd catch steelhead and salmon. And, yeah. Um, Were you big in pike? Rural area? Yeah, very rural. Yeah. Not even. Pike are pretty gnarly up there. I think they're really big. They do get really I've big. I've never yeah. caught one. I've heard that they're. There's big pike here, too. I've heard that they're really invasive. Yeah. And kind of, well, they'll get in and kind of. St- screw up a, an ecosystem pretty quick yeah there's big pike in eagle nest lake up here mm-hmm. and uh it's actually illegal to not keep them you know there's no catch and release catch, on those you're supposed kill. to kill them yeah mm-hmm. it's like alligator gar in texas it's yeah. the same thing they encourage <laughs> yeah. just get rid of them but yeah. they're great eating a big really? pike is great really flaky white flesh wow i didn't yeah. know that almost as good as walleye but the small ones are so bony that yeah. you have to have a fairly big one, like 30 inches or so. To That's pretty big. That's pretty big. But they're skinny. When did you live in New York? What did you do up there? I left Taos um, in 2000 or like the very, very tail end of 1999 in a huge blizzard, actually. Broke down a few times on the way. Um, got to New York. Went to Woodstock first mm-hmm. to finish a record. I had started making a record that um, had some friends up there who were friends with some famous people and, you mm-hmm. know, great side guys and uh, Jerry Murata and um, Zach Alfred and, um, oh, I'm spacing some names right now, but um, there's a really neat musical community up there. I used to go see Levon Helm and his daughter oh, yeah. play. Every Wednesday night at the Joyous Lake. That's awesome. Yeah. And, um, recorded in Bearsville Studios. And Garth Hudson would show up. And, wow. Uh, made some good friends. Sarah Lee, great bass player. Used to play with Ani DeFranco mm-hmm. and the Gang of Four. And anyway, I, I thought I'd be there a couple weeks. But it was a tumultuous time. It was hard to get that record done. I had no money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up being there for three years, moved to Brooklyn. Wow. Um, enjoyed the city a bunch. Yeah. Great city. But I'm a country boy, really at heart. Uh, but then hauled ass to Austin, which was where I was, I thought I was going yeah. after finishing that record, you know, three years before. Right. But, um, yeah, I just fell right into, uh, like a pig and shit in Austin. Yeah. Went to the Kerrville Folk Festival, found a girlfriend, and found gigs, and um, yeah. just immediately started playing. Went back to Austin, kind of made a home at the Saxon Pub, and um, yeah. you know, f- just got great gigs. And uh, it, they call Austin the Velvet Coffin because you can kind of just get real comfortable there and <laughs> play seven nights a week. Yeah, and, uh, I know that feeling. But when we got the Band of Heathens going, um, which was a real accident, 
Um, and I didn't like the idea at first. It wasn't my idea. It wasn't Three his. front men. Well, we had four back then because right. Brian Keene was in the band. Right. That's right. And, um, yeah, that's a strange thought. It's like an Eagles type of thing. Oh man. There was just so much going on. It was great though. And it really started to take off. And I, I loved our harmonies. You yeah. know, I was a quick convert and, and, um, Gordy and Ed and I were the most excited about it. And that's what ended up, we went on with, um, and started getting out of town and kind of lost touch with Austin because we were on the road all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, you know, it was a, was a great run. And those guys, I've played with them a couple times, seen them here and there across the country. And, um, you know, as, as difficult as family can be sometimes, you know, they are family. Yeah. And we, it, it's like all of that is just gone and we love each other. It's like a big love fest when we get together. Now. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> Lots of hugs and kisses and smiles and, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, you guys but they, mean, and, lived it for yeah, we years did. and years. Yeah. It'd be hard to not develop uh, that closeness. Well, um, it can go both ways, you know. Yeah. It's hard to live with other humans that close. Yeah. In a van. Yeah. You're, we spent more time together than they did with their wives. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they're doing awesome. They got a new record coming out, and uh, they sound f- freaking phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny because it's not the same band anymore. I don't fit in. You right. know my <laughs> my brand of, of hokey shit kicking <laughs> <laughs> shtick doesn't doesn't work. But um, we enjoy, or I enjoy it. I hope they enjoy it. I think they do. They otherwise yeah. they wouldn't they wouldn't do it. But um, yeah. So I'm happy for them. I wish they'd have a big hit because then a million people would buy the back catalog and I'd get a big check. <laughs> there you go. Some of that mailbox money yeah. diverted to Red River. That's funny. <laughs> well, you might get an offer uh, with Zach. I don't know. He's he's. Uh, yeah, he wants to make that live record, right? Yeah, he was talking about that. And uh, and then Steamboat coming up. We're going to be up there. I and, can't make that one. I got to go to my niece's wedding in Florida. Yeah. Ah. That would be a fun run. Yeah, we're doing four four dates in that week, which is I can't wait to be up there. I, That's your stomping ground. Well, yeah, and this is the first time I've done it not in my own band, so I'll have oh. so much less responsibility. Yeah. So I'll just get to screw yeah. around way more than ever before. Yeah. You know, I'm not hurting cats. I'll just have my itinerary of shows, and then yeah. I'll see you later. <laughs> just call me when it's time. You know. So I'm looking forward. Although, to that. um. Not drinking alcohol there is um, kind of yeah. the drunks can get on your nerves. It's going to be interesting, yeah, for I, sure. I wasn't drinking one year when we went, and um, I found myself to be annoyed. <laughs> yeah, well, I boy, I I experienced that on a pretty weekly basis. That's man. true, but. Yeah. But with, you probably experienced it with me last night. No, you're a very <laughs> entertaining when you're drinking. You become very, very happy, very jovial. It, that exchange between you and Bill was was pretty. <laughs> <laughs> was pretty. Uh, Brother Will, uh, yeah, yeah, it was the highlight of my evening for sure. My, well, did you notice that I got locked out? I, I heard you knocking, but I didn't <laughs> know if it was the wind or what. I couldn't figure out what was going on. Well, for those of you listening at home. Uh, <laughs> I, Bill and I were, um, Will, uh, Will's been here a long time. Yeah. He's like, 10 fucking years, Colin. I, why you got to change this now? Jesus, I worked for 10 fucking years. Yeah. <laughs> That's a He's really, got this Jersey you have a accent. really, really good impression. I, 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 I got Jesus Christ, Colin. I, I, <laughs> That's the 
perfect impression. This is yeah. exactly what he says. And so, um, <laughs> Bill, um, which we need to do a podcast with Bill, actually. Yeah. Um, interchangeably as Will. <laughs> Many of you may know him as Will if you visited up here. But uh, Will um, took it upon himself to... Um, to uh, be my thorn in in the flesh or something, <laughs> you know, last night. Yeah. But we work together every day, and so we uh, we have a pretty good repartee going. And it but was... anyway, I I got up and went outside to smoke a cigarette, and yeah. the door locked behind me, and I had to climb over the balcony in the snow, oh, slipping no. and sliding. I thought I was gonna rack myself on that railing. <laughs> oh man. But I made it out without mishap with yeah. my glass of wine. But I, at that point I realized I was fairly inebriated <laughs> trying to <laughs> c- climb over that rail in the snow. I so see you were out on the pal- on the balcony of the bar then. Yeah, I thought right. you went out the front door and got No. Uh-uh. That's funny cuz you came walking back in. I was well, like, I had oh, the okay. code to the front door yeah. so I just unlocked it. <laughs> Yeah, that was pretty. But that, it crossed my mind that maybe Bill came over and locked me out because he's done that before. And then walked off. Mm-hmm. That's funny. That's funny. That was that whole dinner experience last night was it was like a second Thanksgiving. Yeah, that was like less than a week ago. A lot more relaxed. Our, my, my family Thanksgivings get a little tense sometimes. So it was a, lot, a little bit more relaxed. Yeah, but I, uh, I enjoyed it. I don't know. We have a good family here. Yeah, I'm uh, thrilled to get to be a part of it. Steve's taken me in yeah. as one of the folds. So, I, yeah. I, man, it's been so cool just to get to spend my time here because this place is so amazing. And yeah. there's so many things that I have yet to experience here that I plan on, fully plan on coming back yeah. as much as possible because yeah. it's really not that far away from my house. I would love it, you know, and it has been this way sometimes with those little cabins up there. Um, you know, that's actually where Ray Wiley wrote Up Against the Wall, apparently. And, uh, yep. you know, there have been uh, numerous other, like Joe Ely or whatever, um, songs written here. Mm-hmm. We want, uh, we need to get those cabins remodeled so that yeah. anybody can come stay for a month if they want to. Yeah. And write songs and yeah. play in the bar and, you know. Yeah. It, there's just a, there's a welcome sign out. There's a welcome mat out all the time. Yeah. Steve loves musicians and yeah. and want to just keep fostering that and grow it yeah to where it's you know and like kelly mcwee has that songwriter festival mm-hmm. in um january and they pack this place mm-hmm. do more of those where yeah. you know it's like a destination or a retreat or a yeah. festival or whatever you whatever flavor yeah or just holy shit i need to get away for a yeah week. that's what or, i used it for two days <laughs> and today mm-hmm. and this we played Saturday, and I'm leaving Tuesday, so I yeah. just needed to get out of town. I don't have anything else to do. There's no reason to not do and it. And it's so charming. You know, it's not the lap of luxury, but it's... No, it's charming. It's, you know, great stakes. And, it's, you know. it's inspiring, for yeah. sure. If I were to come and spend a month or a few weeks here with the intent on writing a record, I have no doubt that I would be able to do that and come up with something good. Yeah. You know, and then having guys like you around and, and you know, Jody and... You know, there's no there's no room for not being creative yeah. in this setting. You know, and 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 Mike especially watching Mike play is mm-hmm. inspiring to the max. Just the way that he commands that guitar, and he'll he sounds like three people playing at once. Yeah. Sometimes I'll turn around and think there's more people up there. It's just crazy. Well, Mike Addington, he's phenomenal, but and a great songwriter too. And a great songwriter, and a, it's just the first day she's been gone. Yeah, 
I've actually been covering that right in front of him. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Taking it away from him. Mm-hmm. That's funny. He probably didn't care. That's really funny. I don't know, but I really like it up here. So anybody that's thinking needs somewhere to go, come to Red River. Doesn't have to be a holiday. I find it more charming when there's nobody here yeah. than when it's packed with people, you know, waiting in line to get into this great restaurants, this great lodging. Uh, just come up here and, and say hi to Colin and say hi to Steve. But you want to wrap it up? We've yeah. gone uh, two, two hours, 20 minutes now. I'm more than D-U-N. Yeah, I think I mean. we're there. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks to Colin for coming on. I'm thrilled that we got to get this done while I'm up here because I'm about to leave tomorrow. And, uh, if it don't snow. It's snowing. It's been snowing. I don't know. The road doesn't seem to be sticking, so we, we're doing all right. But I may be forced to stay another day. Damn. I know that'd be terrible. But uh, anyway, so thanks for listening. And I got some more coming up. We've got uh, some guys. I'm going to head down to Austin, and I'm going to do about three of them in the course of a day and a half. Three more podcasts. So December is going to be a good month uh, with some great and interesting artists and uh, one guitar luthier. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there's a guy named Mike Delaney. He's built my, I've got this custom telly that he built for me years ago, and I've been under his wing. Cool. So I'm going to do one with him because I'm really interested in that process. I find that to be so fascinating, building guitars. And he builds them in mass quantity at once, and he's the only guy that works in there. And it's just crazy how he does it. But So I'm going to do one with him uh, Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday. So anyway, Anyway, thanks for listening. And uh, this has been the Slightly Chewed Podcast. And make sure to subscribe just like that. Make sure to subscribe and make sure to rate it uh, highly so it gets more visibility. We've got a, we've got a ton of listeners, so uh, tell your friends about it and keep listening, and uh, we'll catch you next time.